Welcome in. It's a Wednesday. You know what that means. It's time now for Supernatural News and Parashare. And boy, do we have a Parashare for you. More on that in a bit. Uh, with Supernatural News and Parashare, we need a host and a co-host. And that means we bring in the co-host, the co-host with the most, the BCB, the big cuddly bear himself. Welcome him back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Beer City Bruiser. Bruiser, how you doing? I'm doing better. Doing a lot better. Got my voice back. Got uh, all the yucky leaking stuff out. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Yeah. Don't have the energy back yet, so still trying to find out how to get that and the the deep breath. Trying to get that back. That's a tough one, my friend. I, you know, I've had my, I've had my bouts with the c word. I, not what you're thinking, people. Get your minds <laughs> out of the gutter. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough. You know, I. I had my bout so bad that I had to go get the antibodies. Yeah. yeah. I, I've had it before, but it was nothing. And um, this time it just. It's sinking in. I slept for, I don't, last week, Tuesday and Wednesday don't, aren't even in my brain. I woke up on Thursday and told Mrs. Bruiser I have to do something. She goes, no, you don't. That was yesterday. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Slept right through it, huh? Oh, yeah. And yeah. then just trying to get that energy back you know what i mean it's it's like the mind wants to but the body can't yeah 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 and and it uh it's it's depending on the strain it's it's tough to get over and these strains are getting tougher and tougher yeah and i was reading too because you know because ever it's funny i got cleared cleared from the hip to do whatever i want i have the hernia now i have the restrictions to the hernia i get cleared to do whatever i want because the hernia i get covid <laughs> it's like come on i just can't win and i was reading you can't you they recommend you don't do intense cardio when you're recovering yeah. like even when you're positive or negative for a week or two after don't don't do the intense cardio because that causes a lot that's what causes the scarring and stuff in your lungs so i at the gym i've just been doing some light rowing and then i'm like well i can lift because i haven't been able to lift since the hip yeah it, but there's no energy. There's no. So you, you take the fact that I have no energy. I can't breathe, and I haven't lifted weights since June. <laughs> My strength was just, yeah. I, I felt, you know. But I, to be positive, because mm -hmm. you're, you always used to preach to me, and everyone on you know, look at the positive. I, I was there. Do. Yep. I did something. Mm -hmm. That's and right. I listened to my body and left before it became a problem. There you go. And that's exactly what you have to do. It's just little tiny steps. And with yep. with recovering from COVID, it's little tiny steps. The other thing that you have to do is you have to listen to your body as well. And if you think that there's something not quite recovering the way it should, that's when you got to get your butt into the doctor and you got to say, hey, you know what? Take a look at my heart. Take a look at my lungs. Is there a little more fluid around the heart than usual? Is it a little more fluid around the lungs than usual? Because myocarditis is a real thing. Yeah. When you're In fact, I'm seeing my doctor later this week to check my heart. Good. Because he said the same thing you said when I went and talked to him. And he put, you know, the positive and all that. Yep. So I have to see him this week and next week. And he's, yep. he's doing exactly that. He's checking my heart. He's checking my lungs. Good, good, good. Because it, it's... Um, Unfortunately, uh, I was I was told that through my bouts of COVID and other things that might have that might have I'm trying to think of what the word is here, but it might have not caught it didn't cause, but it it did push my heart issues 
further along than they would have been. Yeah. So it, yeah, because yeah. your heart's working overtime because you can't breathe. Yeah, and so I, you know, I, I had the PVC PVC issues since I was young. So, uh, mm-hmm. You know, but but they became much much worse, and I was put into congestive heart failure because of the the COVID. So yeah. uh, it was kind of a perfect storm that that had happened through two bouts of COVID and 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 other things. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I have a family history of of bad hearts. I have a, same here. My grandfather passed away from a heart attack. My my younger cousin was only thirty five and and passed away in his sleep because of uh mm-hmm. he yeah. I think I do believe he got COVID, got over it, didn't feel well. Mm-hmm. Went into the ER. They did COVID tests. No, you don't have COVID. You probably just have a flu. Go home and, and sleep. So he went home and he never woke up. And it's because his heart was under so much strain yeah. from, from battling everything. And yeah. then our heart diseases in our family. So once that happened, I, I'm every, I get my heart checked out every three months, blood work, the whole nine, just cause I, you know, I don't want to leave my kids there. I don't want to leave early. Yeah. Yeah. And now with this, my doctor's extra, extra, extra cautious. And I'd rather be extra cautious than not cautious at all. Yep. Exactly. And, and even though, I've been cleared from now congestive heart failure. I still take a water pill. My, I don't let my my weight fluctuate more than four pounds, and it does fluctuate. Yeah. Um, but if it goes any more than four pounds over what it's supposed to be, I, I take my water pill like a, like a aspirin for a headache. Yeah. So I, I keep tight control over my weight now, and and tight control over my diet because that's what I have to do. So basically, we're telling listeners to pay attention to your body. Yeah. Don't. Don't be the 1950s old man where, oh, it'll go away. It'll go away. Just get checked out. That's right. Yeah. It's an hour out of your day. That's right. That's right. There's no reason to have a phobia over the doctor anymore. That's for sure. Exactly. And with the way medical advancements have been, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I had hip replacement. I was walking that day. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I have a friend who just had total knee repair, total knee restruction um, replacement. He was walking that day. It's mm-hmm. like... Back in the 80s, 70s, that never happened. No. You know, you're always in the big, long cast. Now, yes. So go get checked out. If you don't feel well, get checked out. I remember when my grandmother had her knees redone in the 90s. She had one done and then had the other one done. And it was within, I want to say it was within a year of each other. And the rehab was incredibly painful. I remember watching her go to physical therapy. Uh, week after week and the way they did it then was so incredibly painful so incredibly stressful and i remember at that time you couldn't bend over and get on your knees they didn't recommend it for weeks upon weeks at a time yeah you had like a safety zone where you had to get used to the knee before you could do that and my grandmother god bless her would on saturdays clean the house from stem to stern and she okay. would get down on her knees and scrub the floor. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't, you know, you take a mop and mop the floor type deal. Or, oh, no, know. this is grandma clean because my grandma did the same. Yep. Hands and knees, bucket next to her. And did it well into her, uh, well into her late 70s, early 80s. Same with mine, yep. Yeah, so uh, it was unconscionable for her to want to do anything but that, even with two knee replacements. So Wow. Yeah, it, 
God love her for for wanting to do that. But but the way they did knee replacements then was was almost impossible for her wanting to do that. Um, but she did it. She did yeah. it. Um, that generation, uh, the greatest generation, a lot tougher than a lot of us today. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Way tougher than a lot of us. Yeah, yeah. That's... And and this new generation, I'm going to sound like the, the crotchety old man. But this new generation, man. So many students that I have start that have never been in an actual physical fight before. Really? Yeah. And I said, not even on the playground. And they're like, no. But you got to think they're all. They're all online, even in school. It's all online. Everything's online. Everything's iPads. So they argue on on social media. They don't argue face to face, and they don't let their temper. That's why a lot of kids nowadays have social anxiety because they don't know how to interact with people because it's not a screen. You know what I do find about this newer generation that I do like though? Hmm. They're more in touch with their feelings. Uh, <laughs> they are. You're absolutely right. <laughs> they are. And they, believe it or not, they do know how to problem solve a little bit better. Um, I, I'm finding depending the ones, on the situation, I, I, I'm finding the ones that I'm running into, they, they have better problem solving skills and they tend to be a little nicer when it, when it comes to I disagree to with that. See, really? here's why I go into a, a okay. McDonald's, sure. order a meal. So it comes out to 2001. All right. Mm -hmm. Hand the cashier $21. And when they type in the $21, go, oh, I found a penny. And watch them not know what to do. Because they don't know how to problem solve. Well, I, I don't know if that's problem solving. Because the machine's that's, not telling them what to do. That's new math. But I'll, 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 I'll put it. I'll put <laughs> it. What? <laughs> I'll put it to you this way. And, and, and this is what I mean by, by nicer and, and problem solving and, and things like this. I run into when I talk about younger generation. I know we're we're way off the topic of of supernatural, paranormal, and whatnot, but we're talking about generations and and how things progress in life. Um, when I'm talking young, younger generations, now keep in mind, I although I may sound suave and debonair on the air, um, you know, I, I get around sometimes on a on a power cart or an electric, whatever you want to call it, electric scooter, whatever it is. And sometimes I may be getting around on a, on a knee caddy. Sometimes I may be walking with a cane. Okay. Mm -hmm. But every time I do, I find people of my age or a little bit younger aren't so quick to want to open a door or help. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're quick to want to get through a door and get past me. Wow. But it's the people of the younger generation who are the first to want to open a door or want to hold a door open for me. Okay. That, that yes, that I'll agree with you on. That want to help. That want to be there. That want to assist. Yeah. Or if I'm trying to get my my scooter out of my my van, they're the first ones to come over and say, "Do you need some help with something, sir?" Or if I'm unloading groceries into my van, they might okay. say, "Hey, can I help you with that, sir?" They're the first ones to come up to want to help, which it shows wanting to look out for your fellow man quicker, faster wanting to make sure that you're okay. I don't get that from our generation. Yeah, I guess because our generation, I, I try to be that guy. I, I, was, I was raised that way. Oh, yeah, I was. But you're right. Our generation wasn't really raised that way because we were the last of the latch. The, what was it? The latchkey kids latchkey that kids. we were called. Yep. 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 Yeah. But hey, like 
I hear from from people that interact with my kids all the time that they're polite and they're mm-hmm. they're they do what you just said, which yeah. is great because that means I did a great job as a uh, dad. So that means our generation is really good parents. Yeah, that's, that's what that means. That's true. That's true. We we, we may be assholes, but we're good parents. <laughs> there you go. But but we passed along what we learned from our grandparents, not necessarily yeah. our parents, but our grandparents. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that's what's important is that maybe it skipped a generation or two, but at least it landed where it had to land. Yeah. So there you go. On uh, today's show, Bruiser, the, uh, we, boy, have we got some stories here for you today. And like I said, we've got an opus of a parish here today. <laughs> it, it kind of reminds you of the old theater of the mind. Yes. I'll put it that way. It's got full production value to it. So we'll play it a little bit later in the program. In fact, you know what? Um, We may do it coming out of break. Okay. Yeah. How does that sound? Um, But we're going to, of course, deal with the alien deal uh, in the beginning of the program. We're going to hear from David Grush. Uh, There's a huge black hole out there to back up Uranus talk from last week. Boy, we had a Uranus story last week, Bruiser, you would have absolutely loved. Uh, But we're going to talk about a huge black hole in space that's changing space and time. It's so huge. That's right. It's sucking up your space and time. Uh, My ex-wife? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I think it is. It's your ex-wife. Uh, I got to give you one of these. There you go. Yeah, and I can't say that. she She's a nice woman and was a great mother to my older daughter. So, <laughs> Look at you, backpedal pal. Um, and then uh, we, of course, have a little AI talk for you today. We can't go the distance of the program without that. And we have a few oddities today. Okay. A fish with a human face. Ooh. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I've seen the pictures of the fish with human teeth, and that creeped me out. <laughs> yeah. That creeped me out. Yeah, this one's a little creepy. And we'll talk about the blue skinned people of Kentucky. And we're not talking about the blue man group, but we'll talk about the blue skinned people of Kentucky. And no one has nothing to do with Jim Cornette. So I'll oh, give okay. myself one of these. There you go. Uh, and we'll talk Ziggy's picks. Interesting week in the world yeah, of Yeah, I was out of it when I did my picks, but the animals <laughs> were right on. The animals were pretty darn good this week. So we'll talk about yeah. them as well. Ziggy's picking it up in the second half. That's right. Ziggy's making a comeback. So uh, we'll talk about that as well later in the program. Let's start it off with David Grush, that whistleblower uh, who came forward to the U.S. government. And he claims that the U.S. government is possessing a variety of alien bodies, Bruiser. Uh, The ex-U.S. intelligence officer recently talked a bit more about his findings on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. I had a lot of people telling me, Tim, have you listened to this podcast? Uh, no, because I think he's pretty much covered that ground. But a lot of people were claiming there was some not necessarily new stuff on this podcast, but that he was reinforcing that uh, a lot of the stuff that he was saying in front of the arrow meetings. OK, so a little more detail, a little more detail. Yeah. Uh, Grush, who previously worked with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and held top level clearance at the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. You can go ahead and do it, Bruce. Right. But no, no. There you go. Uh, task force entered the public eye earlier this year when he made the startling claim that the U.S. government had long been in possession of intact and partially intact vehicles of non-human origin. He later appeared at the subcommittee hearings on UFOs at the U.S. House of Representatives, where citing extensive interviews with high level intelligence officials, he maintained that non-human biologics had been found at some of these crash sites and claimed that people had been harmed or injured as a result of government efforts to conceal this information. Now, 
That's nothing new. He said that before. Fast forward to the present, and now Grush has elaborated a little further on his claims while speaking on an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. He told Rogan that the U.S. government was in possession of several different types of alien bodies, but that nobody had definitive knowledge on the precise number of alien entities interacting with the Earth. He also admitted that he had not seen any direct evidence of either the alien bodies or the alien craft himself. Interesting, but again... He didn't come forward with anything specific. Right. He's just he's being broad in general of information we've already heard before. Because we've heard from a couple people that there's been bodies. And there's been quote unquote leak footage and leak video and leaked pictures. So like he's not really breaking news. But and he's not really helping move along his story either. Cause he doesn't have he just said, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen those, but they're there. But broad in general keeps him alive. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. The first thing I'm going to say when you mentioned his name is like, oh, he's still alive. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, he's still breathing. Um, Broad in general keeps him alive, it, you know, and it keeps him in the headlines and it keeps him moving. And that's, I think, what his intent is here. It, You know, he wants to be able to call attention to it. He wants to be able to show up for more of these meetings. If you remember uh, just a few months ago, they tried to get him into a skiff to kind of flesh out more information of what he had unfortunately someone behind the scenes said well you know what you don't qualify anymore for a top secret clearance right now whether that's of his own volition or something he's done since he's left government now he hasn't been out of government very long he hasn't okay no it's been less than two years i think it's been less than a year or two since he's been out of government um that's not enough time to have done something heinously wrong for you not to qualify for top secret clearance right and so, he left the government on good terms it wasn't like he was yes. dishonorably discharged no he was he left on good terms he, he wasn't a whistleblower yeah. when he was in there he waited till he was done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so obviously somebody doesn't want him to reveal what it is he has now do you think that adds to his credibility then since the government did that at last minute mm-hmm. or i shouldn't say government i'm not gonna say government whoever the organizers or whoever back behind the scenes did yeah. that. Does that add a little bit of credibility you think to him because he does? Uh, you know, yeah, no, because he may have something of top secret information that has something to do with the military that they don't want out. Gotcha. It may not necessarily be of aliens. It may be of some sort of top secret weaponry that they're working on. Or technology that we reverse engineered from this alien technology that we haven't publicly used yet it's some sort of weaponry that they don't want the general public or any of our enemies to know about yeah so and that's that's what people got to pay attention to is when when these whistleblowers come out yes we the american people want to know but so do our enemies yep especially like a china who is in a technological race with us Mm -hmm. you know it, it it if you think back into the 50s and 60s the space race with russia we're kind of in that with technology right now with china oh big time you know when you can get out the quicker uavs or you know stealth stuff and 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 whatnot and if he comes out and whistleblows like oh yeah we have a propulsion system that's based on magnets that we we developed from this et technology china's gonna be real interested in that and they're gonna be like well we don't have that we need that how do we get that china pays now on average between one and two million dollars to 
either turn or create a spy within the United States. Did you know that? I did know that. You're the one that told me that when you told me that they have uh, our borders are covered with Chinese spies That's and Chinese organizations and just all that. They send they either send a Chinese dissident to school here in the United States. They get them schooled in the appropriate um, field that they want them in. And then they bring them back to China and have them working for them. So what happens is they not only send them to school here, but they get them into an internship to somewhere like um, Boston Dynamics for robotics, Mm -hmm. or they get them over to one of the big uh, aircraft uh, companies that has a defense contract. And they get them inside. They get them to learn as much as they can about the defense contract that's going on currently. Then they lure them back with big money to work for the Chinese government and basically replicate that technology. Okay. There's a lot of money and time that go into them creating uh, basically a spy for their government to replicate the technology over there. I laugh because there's a politician here in um, North Carolina that runs, his platform is China and he talks about And Mrs. Bruiser and I laugh all the time because he he doesn't discuss anything going on currently. He just talks about how China tried to buy a factory out here to dispose of toxic waste and he got it shut down. <laughs> so he's running for governor and he's going to let China know that North Carolina isn't for sale. And I giggle. I'm like, wow, this is his, like no other talking points. Like His debate's going to be horrible. <laughs> I guess so, right? And so I said what you just said to, to Mrs. Bruiser about, you know, we, the, the all across our border. She's like, no way. I said, I said, yeah. yeah. I said, we covered that one story where they have little substations around the different cities. Yep. Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's a big thing. And it's not just China anymore. It's, it's China, Iran. It's these different enemies of the United States that are now lined up on our north and south borders that test our borders. Yeah, continually, especially the southern border. It's the southern border that they're testing repeatedly. But China is lined up on our northern border. Yeah. And and they have these little substations on our northern border. And it's a dangerous thing, folks. It really is. Um, Do you think if he would release, let's say the government lets them release a little bit of the this top secret information, does China protect him or, or Israel, whoever? Do our enemies protect him to make sure he stays alive so he can continue these whistleblowing? I don't think anybody protects him. No, you think he's a fair game? No. Where, where do you run and where do you hide? Uh, you know, I, the, the thing is, is if, okay, let's say David Grush comes out and he says, okay, so first of all, it's such a fantastical claim and the general public, I think, says, OK, if David Grush comes out and says the U.S. has technology that they've taken from these alien ships and they've used it for weapons and they've been using it and he comes up with this fantastic claim. OK, OK. So if he comes out and he says it. The rest of the public is going to say, so we know that we have iPhones in our hand. Where do we think we got it from? Right. I think the public is so accepting of. You know, they, they, they come to expect through Hollywood movies and all this other stuff and all the fantastic things we can do. Another fantastic thing isn't going to initially shock them unless an alien appears 
in a press conference beside our president and says, we gave you this. <laughs> and then they're going to go, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. Something that will absolutely blow their mind. And then all of a sudden, you're going to get half the country that's going to absolutely, pardon my French, lose their shit. Oh, God, yeah. And then they start questioning uh, theologically what it is that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Then they start questioning where all this stuff makes sense in the universe. And then you get this rogue wave of people that think it's, it's a, an affront to God. And that's where you get the, that's where you get the, the uprising within just America here. Not, not necessarily the world because you can tie different things in in different cultures to whether they came from a different race or not, or a different alien race. Mm -hmm. And some cultures may be more accepting than others, but you will eventually have these different world uprisings. That's why I'm saying I don't think David Grush is safe anywhere. Right. So if he says, well, yeah, of course the U.S. got this technology from a different planet – well, China, I think, is probably more conservative than the U.S. So why would China say, well, yeah, we'll harbor you and, and we want the secrets as well? I think they're part, they're, their country is probably more conservative. They're not going to oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to want that because they think that their military might is probably a little more and they have more people than the U.S. Yeah. So. I think all in all, there's no place on earth for him to hide. I agree. I, I get it. Yep. Plus, is he even going to get the opportunity? Oh, yeah. Someone will take him off before he leaves the country. Yeah. I think, honestly, I think he's probably going to be whisked away if they ever have to, let's just say, unload all the secrets. If, <laughs> if it comes to the point where the government says, you know what, we got to admit this, boys. I think first David Grush disappears. And, yeah. and then they unleash everything on everybody. So basically, once a month, he's going to do a major podcast or a major news organization just to, to essentially wear it as a bulletproof vest. Yes. And then there will come the smear campaign from, yes. from the they other will, side. They will destroy him, yes. Yeah. You'll, and then eventually you'll find him dead somewhere with a needle in his arm. Yeah. And it'll be ruled a suicide. Yep, and they'll say, "Well, he OD'd. You, we told you all along he was he was nuts." And yep. we'll all go back to, we'll all go back to life as we know it. Yeah, ignore the man behind the curtain. He's dead now. He killed himself. He's a drug addict. That's right. And life goes on as as we know it, and all this gets swept under the rug yet again. Until the alien does a press conference. And <laughs> That's right, with with the president at the time, and and says, "Hey, are you enjoying your technology?" Uh, so that's how that Where's goes. our good buddy David? <laughs> yeah. Where's Crash? <laughs> we were hoping to hang out and barbecue. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of how that goes. Uh, meanwhile, CIA has a secret office that has retrieved UFOs from nine crash sites around the world. In this shocking revelation, it has emerged that the CIA themselves has a secret office, which has been retrieving aircraft from UFO crash sites for decades. Now politicians are calling for more transparency. That's right. I said secret office. Yeah, I was going to say, even the government didn't know about it? I guess not. At least nine non-human craft have been collected by the U.S. government in top-secret operations, which have only been just revealed. Some of the UFOs 
collected by the Office of Global Access or the OGA wing of the CIA and their science team have been destroyed by a crash uh, while two have remained entirely intact. The OGA has been involved in collecting UFOs for the CIA's Science and Technology Directorate since 2003, and now three anonymous sources have revealed information taken directly from the individuals involved in those retrieval missions. It has come as evidence continues to build that the U.S. government could be hiding discoveries of advanced vehicles not produced by humans. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer sponsored a bill to encourage disclosure of all recovered technologies of unknown origin and biological evidence of non-human intelligence in July. The same month, a former top intelligence officer, again, David Grush, effectively admitted to Congress that the U.S. government was aware of non-human material which had landed on Earth. One of the sources states that the CIA has a system which can discern UFOs while they're still cloaked and that when the non-human aircraft land, special military units are sent to try to salvage the wreckage. One source added that the OGA sets a facilitator to get the U.S. military secret access to places in the world that it would not usually be able to get to, such as behind enemy lines. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Other sources told DailyMail.com that the OGA is also involved in retrieving nuclear weapons and downed satellites, but their work involves retrieving UFOs. They protect the secrecy of the retrieval, while the retrieval itself is carried out by the military. The OGA will often work in conjunction with special operations forces, such as SEAL teams, to carry out their missions. But retrieved UFOs won't be kept under military control for long because the military is required to keep too many records. That's an interesting statement. That's a very interesting statement. That's yeah. a very powerful statement, too. Yeah, the craft will usually be moved out to, quote-unquote, private hands. Interesting. The OGA is listed as one of the CIA's nine offices in the Science and Technology Wing, and it has two direct director-level of officials uh, in the chief and deputy CIA expert Jeffrey Reichelson uh, wrote that the OGA is designed to integrate analysis technology and tradecraft to attack the most difficult targets and to provide worldwide collection capability. Former OGA Deputy Director Doug Wolf was one of the founders of the OGA, according to a short biography, which also states that he was responsible for leading and managing strategic unwarned access programs that deliver intelligence from the most challenging denied areas. A former SEAL operative said that they had been involved in retrieving high-value enemy weapons and had colleagues who had done the same, but did not confirm whether any of this was believed to be alien technology. Even ordnance or a weapon that we've never seen, we recover and bring back, he said. Interesting. Isn't the CIA a government organization or is it privately owned? It's a government organization. However, they operate outside U.S. territory. So right. they, even though they report back to the U.S. government. They don't have the same rules and standards as like the FBI or Secret Service. No, or no, no, no. The U.S. Army, U.S. Navy. Okay. They, they so do. that's how they're able to, because what you said was that the government has too much paperwork, essentially. Well, so that means the CIA doesn't have to disclose as much t 
to our government? No, no, no. They still have to report back. However, they're saying that the OGA is a separate. The, That's the, a private. The, the OGA is a separate office, and therefore they can pass off. They operate outside. What's a good way of putting this? The, OJ, the OGA operate, op, operates off of U.S. soil and outside the military. The military has too much paperwork. Gotcha. So they don't necessarily have to file the required paperwork with the U.S. government in order to document things. Uh, okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. The CIA will hand wreckage to private aerospace contractors to analyze as they are not subject to government audits. Here's where this comes in. Okay. The CIA is the portfolio manager or owner of the UAP or the Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Crash Retrieval Operation, said one source who has already testified to Congress. Some politicians are attempting to follow these leads and using them to call for more transparency regarding discovery and recovery of UFOs and any objects believed to be from out of this world. This includes Missouri Republican Congressman Eric Burleson part of an informal group calling for transparency. These are the kind of specific programs we've been trying to get names of. I can't confirm it's true, he went on to say, but it certainly gives us a trail to follow. I think that if it does exist, even if they give us no information beyond that, I think we owe it to the world to disclose that, he went on to say. So I think one of the things that, and we'll, we may talk about Kennedy a little bit later in the program. I saved a story when you were out for uh, over the Kennedy um, assassination anniversary uh, to talk a little bit about you. It's about the, or with you about, because it's about the conspiracy and the anniversary. Um, one of the reasons people are so convinced the CIA had something to do with the Kennedy assassination is because they operated mainly off of U.S. soil mm -hmm. and they had some, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They had some, um, oh, bruiser, what's the word I'm looking for? They had some, uh, you know, when a, when a diplomat has uh, immunity, they immunity? Had some, yeah, immunity. They had some immunity off of U.S. soil in order to operate. So when they, when they were operating, uh, in Cuba with the Bay of Pigs, and that operation got uh, fubard, so to speak. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, when and and they didn't have the full backing of Kennedy. Um, when when Kennedy basically said that he was going to scatter them to the four winds, um, I think he made an enemy in them. Yes. And they didn't like that. And as you can see throughout history, through, from 1962 and 3 to now, they've built in power, they've built in structure, and they're a much more powerful organization uh, than they ever were. Now, the rumor is that the CIA has become, hmm, what's the word I want to use, Bruiser? They've become... Uh, almost their own organization. Okay. They're, they're not, they're not autonomous, but they're, they, they still work within the U S government, but they, they definitely have their own rank. They're on the fringe of the U S government. They're not, mm, mm -mm. not, not, the, I'm not saying they're on the, no, 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 they're, they they're, they're, they're integrated with the U S government, but they have their, they have their own 
slack in which to operate. Right. They still take their orders, but they they have a lot of play there. There's right. a lot of play there. So they would never go rogue, at least as far as we know. We hope not. But there's a lot of play there in which they can operate. Which this OGA thing proves. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's there there's that and that's that. So there you go. Let's move on. A huge black hole is spinning so fast that it's distorting space and time. Again, sounds like Max Life. Aha! <laughs> the huge black hole at the center of our galaxy is spinning at such an extreme rate that it's literally squishing space and time. This is interesting. Deep at the very heart of the Milky Way lies a behemoth of galactic proportions known as Sagittarius A, as an a-hole. <laughs> the gargantuan or... Why would they do that? Like, I don't know. I bet you they're giggling like, hey, let's name it Sagittarius Ass. We can do that. <laughs> which is Sagittarius A. <laughs> we get it, right? <laughs> <laughs> this gargantuan or supermassive black hole has an almost incomprehensive mass equivalent to 4.1 billion suns and measures 32 point, or I'm sorry, 32 million miles in diameter. That's a huge black hole, if you know what I mean. Big black hole. That is. Exactly how this enormous black hole came to form, as well as the role that it played in the formation of the galaxy, is not yet fully understood. Now, in a new study, scientists have used data collected by NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory Telescope to calculate the speed at which Sagittarius A is spinning. <laughs> Mm-hmm. the team discovered that the black hole is spinning so rapidly that it is literally dragging space and time along with it <laughs> wow yeah if, if i'm gonna go you're going with me that's right sometimes those a-holes will suck you in with it just <laughs> yeah. i hate when the a-holes suck me in too yeah if you have a rapidly rotating black hole, the space-time around it is not symmetric. The spinning black hole is dragging all of space-time around with it, lead study author Ruth Daly told CNN. It squishes down the space-time, not, or rather, and it sort of looks like a football. So that's why we talk about football here on the show. Because <laughs> <laughs> of Sagittarius A. Because of some Sagittarius asshole. <laughs> Sagittarius? Sagittarius asshole. Sagittarius asshole. That's right. I'll get it straight. Uh, Let's move on. Returning, just as there's some big black hole in space that's squishing our space time, now SpaceX is creating bright glowing holes in the sky. (laughs) Elon Musk is like, I know how to battle black holes. Let's put glowing holes up there. That's right. I said glowing, not glory. Not glory. Not glory holes Not in the sky? glory. No? <laughs> we don't want glory holes in space. I Elon, mean, Elon doesn't we might. Want, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I hear he's a little uh, lonely since what's-her-name left it. Uh, the artificial aurora, as they're calling it, could be an issue for astronomers and communication systems. These big glowing holes in the sky. Please don't tell us you're seeing alien portals up there, by the way, if you see these. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. In mid-July, viewers hoping to catch a glimpse of a SpaceX rocket launch were stunned to see it followed by a bright aurora-like phenomena over Arizona. The rocket had formed a hole in the upper atmosphere, uh, evinced by a red glow captured by photographers on the ground. 
The glow itself is nothing new. These types of disturbances in Earth's upper atmosphere have been happening for years. The glows are often spherical and are caused by interactions between rocket exhaust and the ionosphere, an ionized region of the upper atmosphere between 43 miles and 250 miles above Earth's surface. But now most astronomers are saying the events are becoming more frequent. Stephen Hummel, an astronomer and specialist in reducing light pollution at the McDonald Observatory in Texas, uses their drive through by the way. It's really great. They were the first ones to bring the McRib back. That's right. And we love them for it. Just We do. Yeah. Uh, told spaceweather.com that two to five of the sky glows are seen per month. Oh, wow. That's a lot of glory holes. Just saying. <laughs> Choose one. Now, I wonder how many of those are reported as, as UFOs or as, you know, uh, unexplained phenomena. I'm sure quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope they don't do damage to our atmosphere because we already got enough damage up there. That's Thanks true. a lot, Aquanet. Yeah. Thanks, Aquanet. Uh, <laughs> I stopped using it years ago, but thanks, Aquanet. Uh, the glows can be visible to the naked eye and remain in the sky for just a few seconds to minutes at a time. When rockets are launched, they can punch holes in the atmosphere. Oh, thanks. Uh, leaving a red glow. But SpaceX Aurorae, that almost sounds dirty. It does. Are caused by the rockets, or as the rockets' second stages burn to come back to the surface. The once rare glowing phenomena are becoming more common as rocket launches become more frequent. In 2017, a SpaceX Falcon 9 exhaust plume left a roughly, oh wow, 560 mile wide hole Whoa. in the atmosphere. Wow, that's a big hole. That's bigger than Sagittarius' ass. <laughs> A 2018 paper in Space Weather found the hole may have caused slight range errors in GPS systems. Which ah, so that's why my GPS is always screwed up. That's right. Which turn right here? I can't <laughs> turn right here. I can't. Which Thanks a lot, Elon Musk. Yeah, Elon Musk. Which transmit radio waves up to one meter. The researchers conclude the glow's impact on astronomical observations are still unclear. By the way, this is what uh, what those glory holes look like in the atmosphere, Bruiser, if you ever see them. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah, you've seen those before? Yeah. Yeah. Giant red hole. <laughs> looks like a giant... <laughs> I've seen those, too. <laughs> looks like a giant red ass in the, in the middle of the atmosphere. I've met a few <laughs> giant red holes in my lifetime. <sighs> hi yo. Uh, their impact on astronomical science is still being evaluated, Hummel told SpaceWeather.com. Starlink satellites are a known issue, but the effects of the rocket launches themselves are a growing area of attention. Protecting Earth's skies is becoming busy work in these heady days for space flights. Earlier this year, a team of researchers found that the night sky is becoming increasingly hard to see due to sky glow, which is human light pollution that brightens the night sky. And besides the eerie red glows they cause, uh, various rockets and satellites passing through Earth's stratosphere leave metals in their wake, polluting it according to a study recently published in the Proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences. SpaceX is also responsible for the Starlink satellite constellation, which is vastly expanding internet access to the globe, albeit at the cost of astronomical observations. But Starlink's next-generation satellites are about 10 times fainter than the original satellites, Gizmodo previously reported. 
suggesting that the company is working to reduce its harmful impacts on astronomy. We'll see how it all shakes out, but no matter the potential effects of the SpaceX Aurora, at least you know now what's causing it. Yeah. So it's not UFOs, it's SpaceX. That's right. It's not UFOs, it's SpaceX. So there you go. When we come back, Sam Altman appears to admit the existence of a new secret doomsday AI system that he helped build. Oh, thanks a lot, dude. <laughs> he, just, he just hates us. That's right. Also, a robot chemist may be your only solution to get oxygen on Mars. We'll talk about that. Um, hmm, let's see, what else? Oh, a fish with a human face. That's coming up. Creepy. <laughs> I think there was a Billy Idol song about that. Fish with a human face. Uh, we've got that coming up. And, and then the, the unique parachute. Yes, the unique parachute is coming up. I think we'll do that after the break. We won't start with AI right away. Okay. We'll, we'll work our way into it. <laughs> we'll, we'll tease ourselves before we scare ourselves. That's right. We'll tease ourselves before we scare ourselves. And then, uh, and then the blue people of Kentucky. We've got that coming up later in the program. <laughs> I know that just sounds weird. The blue people of Kentucky, but we'll talk about them as well. It's all coming up. It's a Supernatural News Wednesday, along with Parashare, right here on The Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Right over there is the Beer City Bruiser. Together we're known as the Carter and the Bruiser. Soon to be on a t-shirt near you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. we Very got excited to open that up. Yeah, we got a t-shirt store all set for you, and we should have t-shirts for you uh, hopefully by next week. Yeah. Uh, when graphics are loaded, whenever they decide to update their site. Mm-hmm. So we should have a couple different t-shirts and hoodies for you next week. Um, and we're working on more designs as we speak. So we should have some stuff ready for you for the holiday season. Uh, normally now is when you hear the dun 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 dun, dun But we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to scare you right away. Uh, we're going to let you ease your way in. We actually have a fully produced parachute for you this week. Yeah, which was amazing to hear. Yeah, yeah. So we'll play back for you. This coming from Grim Goblin Jack. He had asked me initially, uh, Bruiser, if uh, I just wanted the story to read or if I wanted a produced uh, version of this. And I said, no, Grim Goblin Jack, you produce it on up for us. <laughs> uh, so this is it right here. It's called Calling the Poltergeist. Okay. All right. So if you're ready, here we go. This is Grim Goblin Jack calling the poltergeist. Calling the Poltergeist by Emerald A. Barons. The room felt haunted to me even before those strange events. I remember a feeling of uneasiness and fear. How many children had been in this room before me? This is your room, the staff member said, and I saw the small flat children's bed decorated with a plain green coverlet. 
It wasn't unlike the hospital bed I slept in at Langley Porter before I came here to Edgewood, a place for damaged children. At least this bed didn't have restraints. I looked at the wall facing my bed where two plain cabinets stood, painted cheap white for any belongings I would have. I had very few. I thought this place would be temporary for me and that I wouldn't stay long. I didn't know I was going to be stuck at Edgewood for two whole years. The bedroom faced the west, and if I squinted I could see the ocean past the fire escape, winking its silvery light back at me. I felt like a prisoner in this institution and wanted so desperately to run to the ocean, but I was scared. Trapped in this new place with no way out, how would I escape? I had nowhere to go. I looked at the picture on the wall, the only decoration in the room. A young Amish girl with a white bonnet and dress held a cat. I had no idea who she was or why this picture was in the room. I didn't know the picture was meant to be comforting decoration. At the end of my plain bed was a white trunk, totally empty. Along one wall were built-in closets painted a sickening off-pink hue. All of the walls and trim were painted this awful color. It reminded me of the cement room I was dragged into at Langley Porter, with the same color paint peeling from the walls. At eight years old, I didn't know what lead paint was, or that it was poisonous. I spent my time in that cement room peeling the paint off the walls because of severe boredom. Children were locked in these rooms, some for hours at a time. In other places, children died in these rooms. Those rooms were called restraining rooms, for the children when they had their fits. Mine lasted a few hours, and my back was a bloody, scabbed-over evidence of my past tantrums with staff people. I was not alone in this new bedroom at Edgewood, but had a roommate. I didn't care for her much, and the feeling was mutual. The girl roommate bullied me until she finally left, and I was given another roommate. One who didn't speak except to say, I don't know. This was a defense mechanism for dealing with the staff. It was her way of saying, F you to the people who put her in this institution. I had no idea why she was there, as she seemed really quiet most of the time. It wasn't until later I realized she could talk. She was really very smart. No wonder she hated the idiotic counselor in the institution who bullied her. I finally understood why she kept saying, I don't know. What else could she say in a situation like that? She was a devout Catholic, read ghost stories and lent me her Goosebumps books, by R.L. Stein. Pretty soon we were exchanging ghost stories together. She told me the traditional campfire ghost stories, where a babysitter gets a phone call from a man who says he's such and such feet from her house until he's just a few feet away. Cue terrifying scream at the end. Ah! It scared me, but then again, I had never heard ghost stories from other kids before. I was a lonely child. Have you ever called Bloody Mary in front of a mirror? She asked me. I shook my head. I vaguely recalled the alcoholic drink the woman who gave birth to me drank in the mornings. She'll come to you if you call her name out three times, and then you'll see her in the mirror. My roommate whispered excitedly. We were up past our prescribed bedtime, around 10 p.m., so we had to whisper. The staff had stopped patrolling the hallways, but we didn't want to wake the other roommates. In two other rooms, the four girls were asleep. The boys in Hallett Cottage were on the other side. We crept out of bed, and the old floorboards creaked underneath the moldy carpet. We both went to the shared bathroom and stood in front of the cracked, smeared mirror. Both of us whispered at the same time, Bloody Mary! Bloody Mary! Bloody Mary! We waited and stared intently into the mirror. The eyes tend to play tricks on you, especially in the dark. And though there was light from the hallway, it wasn't enough to clear the strange visions that appeared before me. 
My face was pale and shifted slightly, as if it were made of putty, and the eyes began to sag and melt before my eyes focused on the image of my own face again. The more I stared, the more my face changed until I seemed to get dizzy. Was this supposed to be Bloody Mary? I hadn't actually seen her. My roommate and I quickly went back to our rooms, and I described how my face changed. That's Bloody Mary, she nodded, but I wasn't convinced. I joked then about the movie Beetlejuice by Tim Burton that we had seen at Edgewood and wondered if it was possible to summon a poltergeist. That's when everything changed, and I realized it wasn't just my roommate playing a trick on me. There was no way she could have done this herself. Let's do it. Let's call him, my roommate said, referring to the spooky specter. We both said his name, three times out loud, just like in the movie. Nothing happened. I guess it was just a movie trick after all. My roommate shrugged and we both lie down for bed. I closed my eyes and set myself ready for sleep. But then I heard something. I opened my eyes and looked at my roommate's bed. She hadn't moved. I waited a moment and listened. Nothing. I sighed and was about to pull the covers over my head when I heard it again. It was coming from the wall behind my bed, which separated my room from the other girls' rooms. My room was in the middle of three dormitory-style rooms and had the fire escape with stairs that went down to the ground outside. To my knowledge, the windows were locked and no one could come inside. My roommate saw me turn in bed. What is it? she asked. Listen. I pointed to the wall and then we both heard it. It was very soft, but you couldn't miss it. Nothing else would make that sound. I forget which one of us got up first, but she went to the front of our room and motioned me to the back door connecting our dorms. We both crept very quietly into the adjoining room, but found the other girls asleep. Since their beds faced away from the wall where I heard the knocking noise, there was no way they could have snuck back into bed without making a sound. The floor I walked on creaked with every footstep. My roommate and I both went back to our room. There's only the closets on the other side of the wall. She pointed and I nodded. Was someone in the closet? But how could they fit? The closets were roughly the size of a broom closet each, and there was no way an adult staff member could fit in without making a noise, not to mention they would have to be remarkably still the rest of the time. If there had been other kids in those closets, we would have heard them walking through the hallways. Don't poltergeists inhabit closets? We both waited, but didn't hear any more knocking sounds. It was probably past 11 p.m. now, and we both decided it was better to get some sleep. Whatever it was, wasn't going to come after us then, and I didn't have the sense of terror I had at other strange times, when I encountered paranormal events, so I wasn't too concerned. I had told my roommate about the strange entity I had seen at the foot of my bed at night, when I had that bad roommate before. The strange shadow entity had sat on my bed and I felt extreme terror to the point where I couldn't breathe. Luckily, the shadow hadn't hurt me, but I did wake up to find my digital clock had been unplugged. That or the lights had gone off during the night. I managed to sleep after. The next night, we tried calling the poltergeist again and she said his name three times. Nothing happened. Not even one single knock. Oh well, maybe he moved on. My roommate was disappointed, as was I. 
When you're a kid stuck in an institution, there isn't much that holds your interest, but a poltergeist is something different altogether. You hold hope for the strangest things during times you want to escape out of a bad situation. Having a poltergeist next to our room was cool. The fact that we had summoned the entity was even cooler. I suppose this gave us kids a sense of power when we had none. My roommate and I settled down to sleep, but I kept hoping I would hear that knocking again. It never came. We got a shock in the morning. Two pieces of candy were waiting for us on the trunk next to my roommate's bed, along with a childishly scribbled note that said, I'm coming back. Well, this was interesting, I thought. To be honest, I was a bit dubious, as I had seen my roommate eating that same brand of candy just a few nights before. I was jealous of her. In the institution, they put us on different levels, each with its own privilege and punishment. I was always on the lowest level because I was a troublemaker and had multiple fights with the staff. My roommate was smart, kept quiet, and as long as she obeyed the rules, got to move up the level until she graduated off that horrible system. She got to go on walks to the store by herself and use her own money to buy candy. I never, ever, ever got to that level. I could never stay out of trouble. Someone would always make me upset and I was back to the bottom again, just like my life now. In those days, I was a troubled child who had been through too much to know how to regulate emotions. It was an unreasonable request, in my opinion. But at least the poltergeist game we had going was entertaining at the time. I didn't know then how far it would go. My roommate and I discussed how we would summon the poltergeist and maybe make requests. Would it bring us more candy? Prove to us you're real, my roommate fervently whispered. I guess she knew I doubted the spooky specter, and I pointed out the candy had been hers. She denied everything, of course, but I still wanted to believe in this ghostly entity. What would it do next? Then we heard it again. We both got out of bed, but when we very quietly looked in the other room, no one was awake. The closet doors were closed, and there was no way anyone could have gotten in there. My roommate and I tiptoed back, utterly perplexed. Okay, what else can you do? My roommate dared the specter. There was no answer. Eventually, we had to get some sleep, and I think it was around midnight by the time we both fell asleep. Another shock in the morning, and something that has perplexed me to this day. My grandmother had given me a number of stuffed animals, which I laid down each night beside my bed, like little guardians keeping watch. After that terrifying incident with the shadow entity at the foot of my bed, I used the stuffed animals like a barrier, so that if anything tried to get me, I would know immediately. A few of the stuffed animals had bells, so if they moved, you could hear. But this morning, I woke up utterly astounded. All of my animals had been moved. Not only that, each one had been lined up meticulously at someone else's bed, in another room, and their animals were now lined up at the side of my bed. How could someone have done this without making a sound? The floors in that place were old and creaked often, and I would have heard if anyone moved my stuffed animals. It couldn't have been a staff member, and it would have taken too long to move each animal, at least ten or more of them, including the small pocket-sized animals. My roommate was as perplexed as I was. This was the final proof that the poltergeist we had summoned did in fact exist. Now what? I forget now what happened to the poltergeist. I guess it went away on its own. 
Eventually, my roommate was able to go back with her parents and escape the institution of Edgewood. I wasn't allowed to leave. I would be stuck there another year before I ended up endangering my life. I climbed up a very tall tree and threatened to jump off if any staff member came near. Obviously, I survived this ordeal and didn't die. My grandmother was called and got guardianship of me so that I, too, finally escaped that awful place. The poltergeist incident was just one of many in that strange place where children's nightmares come to life. I'm sure many other children after me have had similar frightening experiences. I wonder if that strange shadow entity is still haunting children as they try to sleep in a room that's a hundred years old and full of terror. There's something in these places that tears reality apart. Maybe it's the total loss of control children face under the supervision of people who don't always wish them well. Perhaps it's the ghost of past traumas that reawaken with each new body brought in. Bad events have seared themselves into the walls, like undead testimonies of horrors witnessed before. They still scream to get out. Institutions make children easy prey, and not just for the real-life predators in this world. Children may face another darker fear, one they can't escape from even after they wake. I was lucky to survive. I don't know how many other children will. Uh, what do you think about that, Bruiser? That was pretty creepy. Following <laughs> yeah. The Poltergeist uh, by Emerald all, A. Barons, oh. previously published on The Ghost Attic, produced by Grim Goblin Jack for Darkness Radio Show with Tim Dennis. Well, I'm in Beer City Bruiser. We can't forget that. Yeah. I stepped on the touchdown call. I'm sorry. You did. Yeah. I'm, I didn't know there was credits. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I you thought go. it was an excellent story. Yeah. And I think they're absolutely right that places like that could have evil spirits because they're not pleasant places to go to. They're institutions, you know? That's right. That's right. And I don't get why they started messing with it. Oh, hey, it's probably like Beetlejuice. Let's say the poltergeist name three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not once, not twice, but three times. Yeah. Well, thank you, Grim Goblin Jack. Holy cow. Now, yeah. that's how you do a parachute. That was impressive. Yeah, that uh, I was impressed. Uh, and I don't impress easily. So there you go. Sorry, we stepped on the end there. I thought that that out theme was the out theme, but I didn't realize yeah. there were credits. Well, thank you for the credits, though. Yeah, yeah. It was very well produced, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. See? See? You, too, can do that, kids. Just saying. Little, And you know what's what's funny is I, they they did that in... I th I'm thinking this is a probably an audio production person. It's got to be. Yeah, because they, they did it with very little time. Like, they hit, yeah. me up, they hit me up last night and just said, I can put it on audio if you want. I was like, sure, if you want. And I'm thinking they're just going to read it off into a microphone and send it. Oh, no. Oh, no. We got music. We got yeah, we dramatic got, pauses. We, we got, got sound effects. Beautiful cello music. Yeah. I'm sure they just whipped out a cello and <laughs> did that. Excuse me while I whip this out. Just boom. And then we got cello music. So thank you so much for that. That was awesome. That was very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. And very scary. So there you yes. go. Yes. There you go. And whoever read it did a fantastic job with pacing and 
because people don't realize it's hard to read audio. You know, I mean, you know, it's hard to read because we generally want to read fast as we go along. Yeah. And she did a real good job of keeping an even pace, good pauses in between. As we say in the underwater needlepoint business, she cut a great promo. Exactly. Cutting a great promo. Exactly. Well, if you want to go from one scare to another bruiser, we can do that. I mean. World's ending. Cat and dog living together. (laughs) Exactly. Sam Altman appears to admit the existence of a secret new doomsday AI system that he helped build that could be the leap to artificial general intelligence. That guy needs a punch in the face. (laughs) Why, Why would you do anything like... With Doomsday in the title, other than draw a comic book. (laughs) Well, true, yeah, but he killed Superman, so, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, true. Sam Altman appeared to lead credence to the theory that he was fired from OpenAI over his company's super powerful secret new AI system that he helped build. Multiple employees reportedly warned the company's board of directors that this project named Q, pronounced Q-Star, was becoming so advanced that it could already pass math exams and perform critical thinking tasks. Then they felt that Altman was not taking their warning seriously. In an interview this past week, Altman did not deny the existence of the secret program that some employees said was responsible for his firing. Instead, he called the revelation of Q an unfortunate leak. So basically, this company created a supervillain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't no Lex Luthor. No. No. Instead, he called... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I said that already. Uh, Altman was fired, by the way, then hired by OpenAI investor Microsoft because they really love supervillains over there. Oh, yeah. And then rehired by OpenAI, which also gave the boost... Or rather, rather <laughs> which gave the boot to most of the board that cut Altman loose. <laughs> They said, give us. Way out. He's like, I'll show you guys. <laughs> they said, give us our supervillain back and you all can take a hike. All over so the Gates course of. like, in order to protect the universe, I need to have them by my side. That's right. Better to have the enemy we know than the enemy we fear, or something like that. Uh, all over the course of just five days in November. So. When uh, confronted with questions about Q in an interview with The Verge, he had the opportunity to deny the program even existed. The public learned about the existence of Q in a recent Reuters story, which also uh, shared some concerns raised in the employee's warning letter to the board. But that news story only covered Q in the letter's contents in general terms as Reuters reporters did not view the letter. With all this uncertainty, Altman was well-positioned to deny the existence of Q and dismiss it as a baseless rumor. Instead, he seemed to confirm it. No particular comment on that unfortunate leak, he said. But what we have been saying two weeks ago, what we're saying today, what we were saying a year ago, what we were saying earlier on, is that we expect progress in this technology to continue to be rapid and also that we expect to continue to work very hard to figure out how to make it safe and beneficial. (laughs) <laughs> how about we just leave it alone just don't create it right well you know I, well it's created destroy it it's too late the genie's out of the bottle yeah people working in ai have warned that once computer scientists achieve artificial general intelligence or agi it may become more powerful than humans can contend with 
They could even view humans as a threat that must be eliminated. Oh, yay! <laughs> Enlisting internet and computer infrastructures to carry out a doomsday plan. Oh, that's cheery. Such fears align with experts' predictions that one day AI will reach a point known as the singularity when technology has become more powerful and intelligent than humans can compete with, changing the course of our evolution. Former Google engineer Ray Kurzweil, or Kurzweil rather, uh, once predicted that the singularity would arrive by 2045. Seems like we're on a crash course for that to happen sooner than that. Yeah, the way that it's progressing itself and it's learning. Mm-hmm. I think they're masked us off. They might want to ask the AI. <laughs> yeah, we probably want to ask them first. In April, more than 25,000 people signed an open letter calling for a six-month pause in AI research. At the time, Altman said he agreed with calls for caution, but he disagreed with the technical nuance contained in the open letter. He did not sign it, by the way. Reports have claimed that several employees wrote a letter to the OpenAI board before Altman was removed from OpenAI. The letter is said to detail how Altman's company was working on new AI discoveries that were dangerous and serious risks were involved with commercializing technologies whose potential consequence or consequence is the company did not firmly grasp. Reuters reported that Q is part of the reason Altman was fired from OpenAI due to this new system's advanced abilities Sources said Q was already acing math tests, while the latest version of ChatGPT, GPT-4, still struggles with high school exams. Well, it's already smarter than me if it can do math. <laughs> yeah, it's got, me, uh, it's got me aced, that's for sure. GPT-4 launched in March, giving it time to advance, while Q has yet to be confirmed. Sources also claim Q could use nonlinear methods such as Tree of Thoughts, Monte Carlo Tree Search, uh, process supervised reward models, and a learning. Uh, I'm sorry, and a learning algorithm. However, OpenAI staff are said to believe that Q could be the breakthrough that enables the development of AGI. OpenAI has defined AGI as AI systems that are generally smarter than humans. Well, that's not good. That's not good at all. No. <laughs> Why do we want something smarter than us? To wipe us off the face of the earth. Yeah. This week, when asked why he fired, or why he was fired, in his interview with The Verge, Altman remained tight-lipped, redirecting questions to OpenAI's board members who were not interviewed. <laughs> Uh, at the time of the publication of the article I'm reading, OpenAI has not responded to DailyMail.com's request for comment. In other words, they're being as tight-lipped as possible because you're on to something. <laughs> oh, no, they found out. What do we do? We ignore it till it goes away. Oh, Smithers, we're not responding, are we? Um, meanwhile... Your only hope to breathe on Mars could be as a result of a robot chemist creating oxygen needed for colonizing Mars. <laughs> why, why do we have human chemists doing this? <laughs> like... Because, Bruiser, humans could take a lifetime to complete that same task that an AI robot could do relatively quickly. The same AI that I, I, I just got to point this out week after week the same ai that when a grocery store let ai make up recipes for us 
came up with mustard gas, <laughs> which is lethal to us. But it's delicious <laughs> on a on a wiener. <laughs> so we're gonna trust this thing to fill a whole planet up with oxygen that we can breathe. Evidently. A robot chemist powered by artificial intelligence could solve the puzzle of providing oxygen to humans on Mars, according to the results of a new study. The study published in Nature Synthesis on my doorstep at 5 a.m. every Thursday morning found that an AI robot could quickly figure out how to cook up virtual, I'm sorry, could cook up vital oxygen or virtual oxygen if you don't really want to breathe it (laughs) for survival compared to humans who would take a lifetime to complete such a task. Okay. That lifetime being about 30 seconds because you wouldn't breathe for very long up there without oxygen. No, I'm picturing the whole total recall Arnold Schwarzenegger scene when he's on the planet. His eyes start bugging out and all that. Yep, yep. The reason, according to the paper, is there are more than a million potential oxygen evolution reaction or OER catalysts on Mars, which would give humans too many possibilities to work with when trying to create oxygen. Adding to the problem would be communication with Earth to solve the problems, with transmissions taking as long as 20 minutes to travel between the home planet and Mars. Oh, sure, technicalities. (laughs) Just saying. Oxygen supply must be the top priority for any human activity on Mars because rocket propellants and life support systems consume substantial amount of oxygen, which cannot be replenished from the Martian atmosphere, the authors wrote in the paper. AI robots could be tasked with oxygen supply without the need for help from humans, bypassing potential problems to humans' ability to survive on the planet. Here's the problem. If you have AGI with you, they may decide that they don't need the humans anymore and it's more sufficient for the mission to continue without these pesky humans. They cut off your oxygen supply deciding that their resources are better needed elsewhere, running the mission, humans are expendable, the end. Humans are more of a waste than anything. Right. Why make oxygen when we can get the mission done ourselves? Exactly. We can do this mission faster without the humans. That's right. They go on to quote, here we demonstrate a robotic artificial intelligence chemist for automated synthesis and intelligent optimization of catalysts for the oxygen evolution reaction from Martian meteorites, the author wrote. The entire process, including Martian ore pretreatment, catalyst synthesis, characterizations, testing, and most importantly, the search for the optimal catalyst formula is performed without human intervention. The study envisions that instead of the lifetime a human would consume with a trial and error method, AI robots could solve the puzzle within six Six weeks, Bruce. Six weeks, then the human race. Yep. Very exciting. Very exciting. Like you said, it's going to get to the point where, like, you know, we keep producing this oxygen to keep these humans alive. If we just stop doing that, we don't have to waste our time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Within six weeks, the AI chemist built a predictive model by learning from nearly 30,000 theoretical data sets and 243 experimental data sets. According to a report in Universe Today, one of those magazines you just can't pass up at the the newsstand, can you? Uh, Robot chemistry has made continued advances in recent years. In one 2020 experiment, researchers used a mobile robot to improve hydrogen production from water. Hmm. Okay. 
that same technology could soon find its way to another planet where the researchers believe it will pave the way for human exploration. They also go on to say, our study provides a demonstration that an advanced AI chemist can, without human intervention, synthesize OER catalysts on Mars from local ores. Not the stuff you row a boat with, but, you know. I love how these scientists don't even think of the bad stuff that could happen. No. Like, they don't think that, like you just said, the AGI goes, you know what? We're more efficient without them. Let's change their oxygen into mustard gas or cyanide. Yeah, let's kill them. Let's kill them all. But, you know. Bruce, I got to ask you, what's the ugliest fish you've ever caught? Oh, geez. Uh, probably a catfish. Catfish? Yeah. Catfish, musky. You ever caught a musky? I'm not a big fisherman, so. Not a big fisherman? No, I the was, catfish I'm talking about was on a buffet and it was fried. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> My old man, um, he took us out fishing uh, when we were young. The way he convinced us finally to get us out in the boat was uh-huh. he put a stereo in his boat because we wouldn't sit still. Okay. So he would turn on the radio, but very low, because he was convinced we would scare the fish. Okay. I was convinced the fish liked the music. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, especially every time I've gone fishing, I've just gotten too drunk to do anything. <laughs> I don't blame you. I think that's <laughs> the only way to fish is just, you know, get blotto and go sit in the boat. It's it's yeah, the, to me, it's one of the most boring activities in the world. Yeah, that's what me and my buddy did. We just went and drank a bunch of beer. Yeah, I think we caught something. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, you know what they say, give a, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, take a man fishing and he'll fall asleep. (laughs) I, uh, I just don't think there's any, anything. Mrs. Bruce is a big fisher person. Fisherman. Yeah. She loves it. She likes fishing. She thinks it's relaxing. And and, you know, good, cool. Go ahead. Yeah. That's that's each of them. Right. If you wanted me to come with you, then I just have to have enough beer where I can sit in a lawn chair and, Pass out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. I, I go from, maybe it's because I don't have a big attention span, but I go from actually like watching, like throwing it in for fishing to like, oh, I wonder if I could hook that branch over there. Oh, hey, there's a jogger. Maybe I can hook them or, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, what can I hook with this hook? Yeah. 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 That's what I do. I start throwing the hook all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's more fun to me. Yeah, that's why I want to try fly fishing, because you just sit in the river and just throw your rod all the way around. Yeah, yeah. Fly go all over the place. You start hearing the Indiana Jones theme in your head as you start whipping <laughs> that thing around. Yeah, that, that, that to me is more fun. I, I One time, though, my bro- my grand no, my great-grandfather tried to take my brother and I fishing, and we ended up having lightsaber battles with our fishing poles. Oh, <laughs> see, we now that's, bored. <laughs> see, that's fun. That's fun. Up there in Red Wing, Minnesota. Yes, Red Wing, Minnesota, right there in the river. Well, this fish had a human face, and when it was spotted in a lake, in fact, I'll show you a picture here. I'll give you a sneak preview here, Bruiser, so you don't have it. We can cut to the, we can cut to the chase here. There you go, my friend. Oh, wow. That, that's a terrifying fish. Isn't it, though? Would you? If that thing swam up to me, I would literally hand it my pole and walk away. <laughs> like, you win. Have you ever, gone out, uh, you ever gone out with a fishing whacker, that little billy club? Yes, they used to have one in the car. See, there you go. Well, that's not what it's for. Um, but, yeah, you just you just hit it on the head and make it go away. Yeah, my mother used to make us put it in the car because she was afraid we were going to get carjacked in the little town we grew up in. Oh, there you go. Oh. 
Because she watched too much NYPD Blue. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Well, uh, just take your fishing whacker with you and just hit that thing on the schnoz and tell it to I, go away. No, I'd really hand the fish that. Like, here, you win. You, you are a devil. <laughs> here you go. You are the devil. Take this fishing whacker and go away. <laughs> it does. It looks like a devil or a, a female demon. It does. Yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. A carp with a creepy human-like face thoroughly freaked people out when a video was uploaded to social media with one woman saying... It had turned into a fairy. Aww. After a dog called Nori went viral, having a face that looked like a human, more like a human than a canine. I don't know that I buy that because I've seen that dog. It doesn't look like a human. And baffled people thought his face had been digitally altered, which was more likely than not. It seemed there was an appetite for strange-looking animals. Another bizarre-looking creature shocked people on the Internet, only this one lived in the water instead of on land. A rather unusual fish was spotted in a lake in China, which appeared to have some very odd markings on its face, causing it to look quite human. A visitor to a village outside the outside the city of, I think it's pronounced Kunming, but it looks like coming when you read it fast, <laughs> in South China, captured a video of the creepy carp which I showed Bruiser a picture of, and it does look creepy. And it, it's creepy. Yeah. I would not do anything with that water, because there's something in that water. It's got to be radioactive. It has to be. Yeah. Back in 2019, the video was shared on Weibo, which is a Chinese social media platform, and in the clip, the fish can be seen swimming to the edge of the lake and poking its head above the surface of the water. On the fish's head were dark dots, which looked like two eyes, and two vertical lines which resembled the sides of a nose and one horizontal one underneath where a mouth would be. During the clip, a woman can be heard saying, the fish has turned into a fairy. <laughs> I don't know about that. People were understandably freaked out by the sight. One person commented, this is scary. Another replied, who dares to eat it? Oh, I could not eat that. There's always one guy who wants to put his lips on it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, people who uh, were understandably freaked out by it, also on Twitter, a user called at unexplained was creeped out more than most other people. He said, holy shit. <laughs> someone <laughs> Which else is a natural reaction. Yeah, I mean, that would be uh, someone else wrote. I am so freaked out right now. Others compared the fish to Voldemort. <laughs> One said it was an alien and the animated fish from the 2004 film Shark Tale. I've never seen Shark Tale, so I can't. I have Will Smith. It's a Will Smith vehicle. Uh, it does yes. not look like the fish from Fishtail. So does the fish go around slapping people? <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. There, uh, this isn't the first time someone has seen a human-like carp. Back in 2010, a 44-year-old British man claimed that a carp that he had bought five months before had begun to develop a human-like facial feature. You, what do you mean began to develop? Like When you buy it, aren't you just... First of all, who's eating carp? <laughs> actually, there's quite a few people that love eating carp. Really? It's disgusting. Yeah, I know. They're, they're, they're bottom feeders. They are. They eat but, the shit. They yeah. eat shit of other fish. <laughs> they do. I, I love how you're so adamant about telling us this. But no, there's... When some, I was a kid... You know, and, and, and I had a buddy who fished a lot, and he'd catch a lot of carp, and he'd get mad. So I asked my dad one time why. He says, oh, they're shit eaters. They Wait, taste horrible. You know, a catfish is just an advanced carp, right? 
but you can fry it. You can oh, catfish is when done right. Oh, so good. It's just an advanced carp. That's all it is. <laughs> they don't eat shit. They they, they kind of do. Uh, yeah, but they're still delicious. Carp are not delicious. <laughs> Brendan O'Sullivan of Essex said it was astonishing. I could easily make out from the markings two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. I thought I was suffering from sunstroke when he went to buy the carp to eat it. Uh, the fish is believed to be worth an estimated 40,000 pounds. Really? The human fish. The human well, maybe carp. I will catch that fish then. 40,000 pounds. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit of money. Yeah, that, uh, when you take the ex- exchange rate into consideration, it's about $26,000. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know my exchange rate. I have no idea. I just I just don't want to. That fish is going to get pissed off and form legs and arms and beat me if I go catch it and say I'm going to sell it. Right. Yeah. Mm. I got a ghost story here for you, Bruiser. Okay, I like ghost stories. This story is about the terrifying ghost of an old woman who watches a five-year-old boy learn how to ride his bike from a mansion. Okay. Woo, scary. Woo, scary kids. <laughs> I don't know. I just had to add that in there. I thought maybe you'd be more frightened. Uh, this is the terrifying moment. A mom captured the ghost of an elderly woman watching her son learning to ride his bike. The spooky pictures were captured by a mom, Louise Lenton, at Old Way Mansion in, I believe this is Painton, Devon, over uh, in England, which dates back to the 19th century. It shows her five-year-old boy doing laps around the parking lot at 5 p.m. on a Sunday. Okay. But it is what's happening in the window that has sparked the controversy. Controversy, rather. It is the shape of a woman watching the boy, and she can clearly be seen in the window on the, of the uh, first floor. Normally a skeptic on the paranormal, Louise cannot explain the appearance of the woman who she describes as wearing period dress. My partner and I had split off with him going to walk the dogs on the fields, and I took our little boy to the parking lot to practice riding his bike. The car park, as she puts it, is flat and perfect to do it. I was just filming him, and that was it. It wasn't until I was home and in bed watching the film back when I noticed it. I was like, oh my gosh, and my partner could not explain it. Neither of us know what this is. When I was filming it, I did not see it at all. I was too busy filming. I screenshotted it and zoomed in right away. It looks like a lady with hair in a bun with white cuffs around her hands. Louise has even approached Torbay Council about the mystery figure and said only security guards would have been inside the building the day the footage was taken. It's certainly not a security guard from what I can tell. The outfit the woman is wearing appears to have white cuffs and it looks Victorian. She added, I would love to know who or what it is. Let me see if I can zoom in on this picture. This picture that she took that she screenshotted is absolutely perfect. And it's quite the full body apparition. Oh, wow. Yeah. Take a look yeah, you that. can see pretty much everything but a face. And it looks like she's wearing a jacket of some sort. Yeah, it's quite perfect. That is a very perfect, I can, yeah, yeah, that's a great catch. Yep. Interesting, interesting picture indeed. But yeah, and she's got the white cuffs and everything. In fact, you know what, I'll try to zoom in more on the lady there so you can see her. But here. Oh, yeah, she's got her hands in front of her. Yep. Very Victorian. Yeah. It just looks like a... 
grandmother, 19th century grandmother watching over a grandchild. That's yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, just making sure that the little boy's yep. okay. Yeah. Yep. Which is very interesting indeed. The only thing missing is a cup of tea. That's right. I have, <laughs> I have, I have mine in front of me right here. So. Oh, look at you. Mm-hmm, hmm Got to have your tea when you're doing supernatural news and you have a lot of stuff from England, that's for sure. I'm just hoping they the, the English spirits notice that I've got my tea. <laughs> that's all. People are like, you teetotaler. Uh, speaking of, we stay in England where we're going to meet England's youngest paranormal investigator who's all of eight years old. Is he part of this family? There's a family that... I think they got a show over there and their whole family were investigators and they would move into haunted houses and whatnot. Uh, maybe if he's part of afterlife paranormal, I think that's the group. I'm not sure. He's eight years old. He talks to ghosts through his phone app. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Eight year old Bobby Horton claims to use a smartphone app to talk to spirits and ghosts following in the footsteps of other family members investigating the paranormal. I think Bruiser hit this on the head. Uh, Bobby Horton claims to be the UK's youngest paranormal investigator. Bobby claims he can chat to ghosts using a mobile app on his phone and follows in the footsteps of his mom and step, I'm sorry, his grandmother and step granddad who run a ghost hunting group on Facebook. Bobby's grandmother, Teresa Hughes, is 59 years old. His step-granddad is 58-year-old Charlie Harker, and they both run Afterlife Paranormal. The young lad from Blockswitch in Walsall, which all sounds made up, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It, it sounds like, like a real place. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like um, what's his name? What's his nuts with the wand? <laughs> Harry Potter? Yes, Harry Potter. I, I don't know why I couldn't <laughs> think of the name there. It all sounds like Harry Potter land, doesn't it? But a lot of English towns sound made up. They do. Uh, hopes to continue his family's legacy in their quest for spirits. He even claims to have chatted with his late granddad, 59-year-old Terry Hughes, through the Spirit Talker app. I want everybody okay. to go to their phones right now and see if they can pull up the Spirit Talker app. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Interesting. I um, bet you it's just an app that plays a bunch of white noise. Probably, yeah. Or it, it probably pulls up a bunch of fake ghosts. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, like I love those early ghost apps. There's, oh, there's a ghost next to you, and you'd hold your phone up, and it'd show like an the dots or whatever. It's yeah. like, come on. Yeah. Uh, Bobby says, I like investigating the paranormal. My favorite part is probably speaking to my granddad. I use the app to do that. My granddad has come through sometimes. Oh, you poor kid. Here's a picture of him and his, his other grandpa, his step-grandpa. Step-grandpa laughing in the background as he fools the kid all day long. I love that he's wearing a Ghostbusters outfit. Yeah, yeah, he's he's wearing that. He has gone all out with a Ghostbusters outfit. I love that. He has. Good a, for that kid. And it says Venkman right there. on. Yep, his, it's yeah. a Venkman outfit. Yeah, the dead one. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Charlie revealed that uh, Bobby has been exploring the paranormal for about a year and a half, but only does light investigations, as they put it. He is proper into it with ghost gadgets and that, but he's not been on a proper investigation yet. Good. Yeah, don't. Don't take him. <laughs> no, he does. That's that's if there's anything malicious, they're going to attack him and attach to him. And yeah, yeah. Charlie says he does his own little things. That's good that you have not taken him out. Yes. At least they're smart like that. Yeah. And they're being protective. Yeah. Uh, 
it looks like Charlie goes on to say, if we're out with him at the pub, he will want to put on a or put a ghost box on and he will call out things like that. He loves it. I wouldn't say he gets freaked out. It is light paranormal, not heavy, you know. He does try though. Uh, he has. I little, like how they say well, we're out at a pub. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> well, it's he's, it's he's, a little <laughs> different than you know. I mean, I suppose like a pub pub restaurant where they're you know getting their fish and chips and whatnot. Well, I, I know it's just yeah. The way he phrases it, like we don't let him go on investigations, but man, he watches get shit faced all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, not like that, Bruiser. It's not like, no, it's not like here in the states where you know you walk into a bar and and the kids is belly up to the bar and he's you know doing shooters or anything. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm sure they're like in a restaurant and he's yeah. you know, you know. Uh, he has a little app according to his uh, step granddad that he uses. Uh, it comes out with words basically. It's designed for spirits to manipulate the words and changes them to words that they want to put out. Basically, it's like a novelist. Yeah. Uh, basically, I would say that he is one of the youngest paranormal investigators in the country. I've never known anyone his age that young doing it. Well, come on over to the States. There's a few. Uh, Charlie and Teresa have carried out, also carried out live investigations at their house. Bad idea. Uh, including a range of equipment and claim their home is haunted by a sinister spirit called George. Why? I, uh, didn't we have a, word. didn't we joke about a demon named George a few weeks ago? We did. I think we found out where he went. Yeah. Ask what Bobby's mom, who is Teresa's daughter makes of paranormal investigations. Charlie said, she's not really into it. She likes to think that it's not real. Like it's a different category to what Bobby is into. I would say she's a bit on the skeptic side. She's not really a believer. Charlie added, probably when Bobby is older, I can see him joining us on investigations. I will be like his mentor. I'm a professional in this field. Well, I don't know about being professional, but I, yeah, I think a real professional would keep an eight year old out of pubs looking for yeah. ghosts. I'm just saying. And don't don't be screwing with the sinister George. Yeah, don't be screwing with sinister George at home with the grandkid around. I'm just saying. Uh, let's talk about a creepy ghost town that's out there. Speaking of weird and unusual things, this doesn't necessarily count as supernatural unless you're seeing things in corners. Last week, Bruiser, we talked about an unusual town in Japan where a woman was putting dolls all over the place in this ghost town because it felt lonely. It was okay. more creepy than anything. I've been to a few ghost towns because in Arizona, they're everywhere. Yeah. And the, the, the thing that I can't get over when you're in this, this ghost town is there's no electricity. So you don't get any EMF, you know, like because EMF affects your body. Right. But you don't get any of that. And the next is no sound. Yeah. You can be quiet. There's no sound. Yeah, which is... No eerie, hustle and bustle. Eerie in itself. We're going to Malaysia, where a handful of people left in a huge ghost city full of creepy abandoned buildings are getting a little creeped themselves. A forest... Forest City is the name of the uh, place in Johor, which is on the southern tip of Malaysia, was meant to house tens of thousands of aspirational Chinese families. But it is largely empty years after the project began. 
Forest City is a sprawling housing complex in Johor, which is on the southern tip of Malaysia. The enormous recently constructed settlement was meant to house thousands of aspirational families, mostly from China's middle class. Very few ever moved into the swishly furnished flats here, leaving it feeling like an abandoned holiday resort, according to the BBC report. The tower blocks rise up from above empty beaches and slowly rusting playgrounds while shopping centers sit abandoned, including one where an empty children's train continues to run endlessly around a small track. Okay, that's creepy. That is creepy. While official figures are difficult to come by, one estimate suggests that it's just 1% of the dwellings in Forest City that are actually occupied. Really? That's it. One percent. One percent. So that's what two families? <laughs> if that. Nazmi Hanafaya moved to Forest City a year ago and rented a one bedroom flat in a tower block overlooking the sea. After just half a year, the thirty year old IT engineer couldn't take it anymore. I mean it's probably lonely as hell. Well, it's gotta be like being in solitary confinement. Yeah, there's nobody to talk to, there's no noise going on, there's nothing going on. Hey, you get free train rides if you want. Yeah, but, I mean, there's nobody. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. I managed to escape this place, he told the BBC. I didn't care about my deposit. I didn't care about the money. I just had to get out. I'm getting goosebumps just being back. It's lonely around here. It's just you and your thoughts. He added, to be honest, it's creepy. I had high expectations for this place, but it was just such a bad experience. There's nothing to do here. When the ground was broken at Forest City, the property boom in China was in full flow and developers were borrowing huge sums of money to build. In 2016, China's largest property developer, Country Garden, planned to house close to one million people at their flagship Malaysian project. Despite the eco-friendly metropolis, they pitched being far out of reach to the majority of Malaysians. So it was even from away the, uh, away from the majority of Malaysia. Okay, so it's way out there. Way out there. Eight years later, only 15% of the entire project has been built. Oh, so it's like a it's like a half-built city. Yeah, that is even more creepy. It, it, it kind of has that feel like it's been blown away by a bomb. Yeah. Uh, Country Garden told the BBC that it is optimistic the full plan will still be completed. That is creepy. The empty apartments, eerie quiet at night... Its location on reclaimed islands far from the nearest major city, which is Johar Baru, and the tumbling value of apartments there has earned the development the nickname Ghost City. Although it is an extreme example, the development is not unique in the region. In 2021, the Chinese government passed strict measures in a bid to stop a potential property bubble from forming after years of big borrowing. As a result, many firms ran out of cash and could not complete projects. Country Garden has had to abandon two projects in Australia earlier this year. Many others have followed suit as they come to terms with new rules around debt and cash flow that significantly limit borrowing. Whether or not projects like Forest City are ever finished, and if good times return to the industry, very much remains to be seen. While the development is on the extreme end of things in terms of size, China and Malaysia are far from alone when it comes to ghost settlements. In Australia, a town was recently evacuated of its final resident years after people began to leave in droves. They didn't go as a result of a bursting property bubble. However, 
but because of asbestos. Really? So asbestos drove an entire town away. I believe that. Asbestos is bad, but still. Yeah. 80-year-old Lorraine Tom Thomas was the last to leave Wittenum. At its peak, the town was 800 people strong. Now it is barren, empty, and toxic. A reminder of the deadly asbestos mining industry, which has once attracted those seeking their fortunes from far and wide. Okay. Imagine that. That at one time, asbestos, I mean, especially in the 50s and 60s, was oh, a huge industry. Best as you can do. Yeah. Today, signs outside the settlement warn dark tourists to push back against their curiosity and stay away from a town that has claimed many lives. Land ministers John Kerry uh, previously said the government closed the town to stop idiotic tourists and visitors to the area. Who are, yeah, the asbestos is still there. Yeah. Who are attracted to the local picturesque landscape and the eerie quiet of a once thriving town. So they just want to see it and see what it's like. Yeah. But because of the asbestos, the, nobody wants anybody going there. And your chances of just, you know, having contact with the area and picking up something that could trigger cancer is is amazing. Amazingly it, high. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the article that I wanted to bring up uh, last week with you, Bruiser. Um, but circumstances. So I brought it back this week because I wanted to get your thoughts on this. You know, we were talking earlier about the new generation and the right. way they look at things. And right. I'm glad it came up this week because we're going to combine a little bit of history with the way it's seen by the younger generation. Okay. And it has to do with the Kennedy assassination. There is an interesting article I pulled because I wanted to get your perspective on this. The article was in Newsweek, and it had to do with the JFK assassination conspiracy and how it's viewed completely different by Gen Z. Okay. And I'll just try to... I can to, see it being viewed differently. I've, I've had discussions with my kids about it, and they're Gen Z. Well, how do they look at it? Uh, I have my oldest, you know, conspiracy theorist. So she, she goes along with... She's a, a big mob conspiracy. Yeah. It was the mob. Okay. Um, my son by, takes it as face value. It was an assassination. It happened. Okay. Uh, and then my younger daughter... She she was back and forth. She has many different. She she thinks it was an outside job, but as far as who, she doesn't really point fingers. Well, interestingly enough, most Generation Z Americans are significantly more likely to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was solely responsible for the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Than their, that's my son. Yep. Than their older compatriots. That, according yeah. to a new poll conducted exclusively for Newsweek. The Redfield, Redfield and Wilton Strategies Survey found that of those members of Generation Z, defined as those born between 1997 and 2012, old enough to vote, 36% believe one person, Lee Harvey Oswald, was responsible for the assassination of President Kennedy. Another 42% think multiple people were involved in a conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy, with 21% unsure. Kennedy was shot and killed, of course, on November 22nd of 1963. 
as his motorcade was had made its way through Dallas, Texas. Police arrested Oswald, a former U.S. Marine, for the crime. However, on November 24th, he was also shot by local nightclub owner Jack Ruby while being escorted through the basement of the Dallas police headquarters. Oswald died of his injuries from that shooting. Both the FBI and the Warren Commission, set up by President Johnson to investigate Kennedy's murder, concluded that Oswald acted alone. However, many Americans continue to believe unverified claims that he was killed as part of a wider conspiracy, potentially involving organized crime or even government agencies. In December of 2022, a CIA spokesperson told Newsweek that 95% of the agency's files related to the Kennedy assassination had been released in their entirety. Okay. All right. For the U.S. as a whole, the Redfield and Wilton strategies found 50% of eligible voters believe multiple people were involved in the Kennedy assassination versus 28% for just Oswald and 22% who said they didn't know. Notably, those age 55 plus, the majority of whom were alive when the assassination took place were the most likely to doubt the official narrative. Among this group, 55% believed more than one person was responsible against just 24% who support the official narrative, with the remainder unsure. For the survey, Redfield and Wilton Strategies surveyed 1,500 eligible U.S. voters on October 29th, with the data weighted by a variety of factors, including age, gender, race, religion, I'm sorry, not religion, region, and educational level. Daniel Jolly as an, is an expert in the psychology of conspiracy theories who teaches at the University of Nottingham in the UK. He told Newsweek that while support for conspiracy theories overall remains stable over time, backing for individual ones tends to drop. Jolly said it certainly can feel like belief in conspiracy theories are more popular than ever. However, with the aid of the internet, we can shine a light on conspiracy theories much more easily. This spotlight may give the impression they are getting more widespread, but conspiracy beliefs on average have remained pretty stable over time. Evidence suggests that as a specific conspiracy theory ages, it often loses rather than gains believers over time, Jolly added. But that generalized belief that powerful groups are secretly plotting is something that does not seem to attract more believers than in previous decades. That seems to be stable. Interesting. So huh? basically, the, the new generation doesn't believe in the Illuminati. It's our generation and before us. Yeah. I think... With something like that, I think it's because when it happened, the country didn't want to believe it. So that's when all the conspiracy theories started. And then you go through the 70s, the 80s, even the 90s, all the movies that are made and the discussion. Here we are now after 9-11. I think the focus gets off Kennedy and goes towards New York. And that's where this new generation is, is they're not looking at that conspiracy, you know what I mean? The JFK conspiracy. Now it's, okay, what happened on 9-11? Well, you know what it is? I think it's the people who are involved in the moment are searching for answers and they're searching everywhere. They're looking yes. for under every nook and cranny. It's the people who are born after the event or the people who are born away from the event who tend to look at it with a more skeptical and and focused eye. And you also got to look at, too, kids, this Generation Z, when they learn it in school, school's not teaching them the conspiracy theory. No. School's teaching them Lee Harvey Oswald did it from the sixth floor of the, the 
Book Observatory, JFK died, and and an investigation went in. They found it was him. He died by Jack Ruby. That's how school teaches it. Right, right. They don't go out of their way to say, oh, but, you know, and it's not like kids are coming home. Like when my kids come from home school, they can't go, hey, dad, where were you when JFK was shot? Like I could do. You know, I could go to my parents. You can go to your parents. Hey, where where were you when JFK was shot? Yeah. You know, but our kids can come home. Where were you when 9-11 happened? And I, I can tell them exactly where I was. Yep. Exactly what I was doing. So now the conspiracy theories can come out because now I can talk about it. Like, oh, well, I've heard this conspiracy. I've heard this. I've heard this. So the talk in the household just ships. And they can ask and you which one you that, believe. Exactly. And I think what will happen eventually is the 9-11 conspiracy theories will die down when the next catastrophic event happens and is a major event in our children's lives. It hasn't happened yet. You know something, Bruiser? We ha- well, now we have whole generations that weren't around when, when 9-11 it, yeah. happened. And these generations are now learning in school. Yeah. And these are the, this is the generation now that is coming up and is skeptical. Right, and they they know the official, the official line, if you if you will, the official line that's being taught in school, yeah. and they're the ones that are going to go. Wait a minute, uh, this is why I don't believe your conspiracy. Yeah, and they take a look at it from an an outside skeptical view, because they do get the official line, and they they're not, they don't feel the feelings because they weren't there. That's my youngest. She and, and my son, because uh, he was only one, I think, when 9-11 happened. My youngest, actually, happened in September. Yeah, he, he was just one. My my daughter wasn't, my youngest daughter wasn't even born. So when I talk to my youngest daughter, and, and Mrs. Bruce and I go over the conspiracy series, she just kind of rolls her eyes. Yeah, yeah. Be- because, like you said, she never felt the emotions, you know? Yep, that's exactly where it is let's move on shall we let's talk about the blue skinned people of kentucky and the phenomena that causes their unusual appearance are they in the wolves you know what okay <laughs> you want to bring it up my friend i am going to end this argument today are you ready for this sure i have it on my phone i just need to bring it up it's in my voice notes it's still wrong no nope. <laughs> it's a little wrong. you can't dispute this this is indisputable evidence i'll tell you where i got it from and uh, this is why you can't dispute it and now i just need to find my voice notes darn it <laughs> um okay i'll tell you how i came across this so one day i'm driving back down from st cloud from my from my radio shift and I'm driving along. I'm listening to Casey Kasem's American Top 40. Okay. From the 70s. And a writer writes in, Dear Casey. Right? Yeah. And he says he's from Louisville, Kentucky. Ooh. And Casey says, Louisville. That, yeah, but Casey had the weird accent. No, 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 yeah. my friend. The man with perfect diction. The man with perfect <laughs> English. The man who told us week to week what was the number one song in the nation tells us exactly how it is week to week we grew up with indisputable evidence from him every single week of what was the best in the country every week yeah tells us exactly how to 
say what we said, hear what we heard, and I have it here in my phone. Here it is. I'm about to play it for you. I'm going to play it for you. And it says, Louisville. No, 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 no. Stop it. Here it comes. Well, it happens to be the most important single record in the history of rock and roll. Details coming up. Oh, wait. That... <laughs> he didn't say it. No, no, wait, wait, wait. I have it in here somewhere. You're not proving anything. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Is this? Here it is. With calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Well, now let's answer this letter from Trent Parsons in Louisville, Kentucky. Here it is! Louisville! <laughs> Louisville! Let me play it again so you get it. Okay, here it is. With calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Well, now let's answer this letter from Trent Parsons in Louisville, Kentucky. He wants to know. I win. I win. It is Louisville in the great and now departed to the beyond. Casey Kasem said Louisville, Kentucky. I disagree. You can't disagree. It's Casey Kasem. No. Jim Cornette says Louisville. He's wrong. It's because he's been hanging out with those mouth breathers down there. Let me play for you one more time. He's from there. There you go. Louisville. The great Casey Kasem says Louisville. And if he says Louisville, by God and the gospel itself, it's Louisville. Louisville. No, no. You've just had COVID. Your mouth doesn't work right. It's Louisville. (laughs) I just hung out with somebody from Louisville. It's because they said Louisville. They don't know how to pronounce it. There was was no King Lou. They're from, I don't even think they know. Nowadays in Louisville, I don't think they know their town's named after King Lou. Louis. Louis. <laughs> not Lou. There was Lou. no King Lou. There was a Lou. Lou Grant that was on TV, but there was no King Lou. I don't know. It was King Louis. So back to the blue skin people from Louisville, Kentucky. That, no, no. <laughs> they were from Kentucky. Not Louisville. They were just from Kentucky. They were from Appalachia. Oh, the mountains. Yes. Nestled in the heart of Appalachia, not Appalachia, lies a tale as mysterious as it is captivating. The story of the blue-skinned people of Kentucky. I'm assuming they're coal miners. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm guessing coal miners. So really, you're going to blow the story up right now? <laughs> I, I don't know that they're I'm coal I'm, I'm being, I don't know the story. I'm just saying. Okay. If you're going to ruin Louisville, I'm going to ruin coal miners. <laughs> Louis! Louis! <laughs> This phenomenon, centered around the enigmatic Fugate family, has intrigued scientists and storytellers for generations. The distinct, is it azure hue? I don't know. What, what's yep. a good, is it azure? azure yeah, it's azure, azure, either azure or azure. It's blue in Spanish. Yeah. Blue. I didn't say bluey, did blue. I? Blue. A bluey is what you get from a hooker when you pay 200 bucks. <laughs> No, no, I'm just thinking of the Geico commercial where the guy has blue hair and the dad goes, blue hair. (laughs) Uh, We'll just say the distinct blue hue that marked their skin became a symbol of an extraordinary genetic condition known as, oh my gosh, what is this? Methemoglobinemia? Holy cow. And created a saga that spanned geography, genetics, and the complex interplay of isolation and intermarriage. 
Oh, we got one of those. Yeah. Ah. Living in isolated Appalachia, the few gates inhabited the region for well over six generations. It all started when a French orphan named Martin Fugate, or Fugate, (laughs) no, that's Spanish, uh, settled uh, settled at Troublesome Creek with his redheaded American wife. The pair, who married and settled in the area at around 1820, were both carriers of the recessive gene called methemoglobinemia, Hmm. which meant four of their seven children were also carriers. Living in the remote Kentucky mountains, the Fugates uh, were rarely able to interact with others, leading them to marry and have children with members of their own bloodline. Oh, so their their family tree just went up. Yeah, that doesn't fork, that's for sure. (laughs) I mean, they were forking, but the tree didn't fork, you know what I mean? Uh, as they continued reproducing with this limited gene pool, the trait that caused their blue skin continued among their descendants. I don't think there's a coal mine involved here. Nope, no coal mine at all. <laughs> the there, only mine is that of the sister. <laughs> that, that's right. There wasn't a coal mine, but there was a poop poop. It just didn't use it. Uh, many gener- some Sagittarius ass going on <laughs> left and right in this family. Yes, there was. <laughs> Many generations later, great-great-great-great-grandson was born in a modern hospital near where the family had been living, inheriting the gene. His Didn't blue- they make a movie out of this <laughs> called I, Deliverance? <laughs> I think they did. There was, there was that, you sure got a pretty mouth thing going on, but nobody used the mouth either. Uh his blue skin baffled doctors when he was born until relatives explained that this was common among family members. It's okay. My my grandma niece uncle over there has got it too. So don't you worry. <laughs> Stopping the planned blood transfusion that they were going to do. Hmm. As time went on, the baby's blue hue slowly lessened. Nestled in the picturesque Appalachian Mountains, the few gates found themselves secluded from the broader world. Of course, there were no broads around. <laughs> Unless they were the hills have eyes, <laughs> essentially, unless they was part of the family, there weren't no broads. Uh, the isolation wasn't just about physical distance, as it both shaped their way of life and had an impact on the prevalence of their condition. Geography played a pivotal role in the perpetuation of the blue skin trait within the family. I feel icky reading this. Yeah, this at, is dirty. At the, <laughs> this is dirty. At the time, the region didn't have an abundance of road or railways, meaning it wasn't uncommon for people to never see their neighbors. In a way, the Appalachian Mountain seclusions created a sort of genetic pocket following the combination of genes responsible for methemoglobinemia to persist over generations. At the heart of this story is Ruth Pendergrass, who's a compassionate nurse whose encounter with the Fugate family in the mountains of Kentucky marked the beginning of a remarkable journey while working around troublesome and ball creeks. (laughs) Ball creeks. Pendergrass easily noticed the family's unusual appearance and intrigued embarked on a mission to understand the root cause. Recognizing the significance of what she'd stumbled upon, Pendergrass became the link between the Fugates and the medical community. She enlisted the help of hematologist Madison, I believe this is Cowain III, 
who began a detailed study of their condition, opening doors to a deeper understanding of methemoglobinemia uh, and settling in motion concerted efforts to raise awareness about the condition. Living with a visible and rare genetic condition meant the blue skin fugates became the subject of curiosity, speculation, and sometimes outright prejudice. Well, you don't want to be prejudiced against blue people. That's for sure. I was going to say, you should be prejudiced against any color people. Goddamn Smurfs. <laughs> Their distinct color or skin color didn't fit the commonly seen skin tones. Rather, it caused them to stand out among all whom they came across. Misconception. When they tan, do they become purple? I'll show you a picture right here. Here's uh, here's Papa Fugate right here. Oh, he's he is a Smurf. <laughs> He's Papa Smurf. He's Papa Smurf. He, he's got a white beard and white hair, ladies and gentlemen. Um, misconceptions about the phenomena fueled stereotypes rare, ranging from heart disease to a lung disorder, which saw them having to contend with the challenge of educating others about the genetic basis of their condition. Discrimination, subtle and overt, became a part of the experience shaping their interactions with their neighbors and influencing their sense of belonging in the community. In the face of societal scrutiny, the Fugates displayed resilience and strength, and the majority lived to be in their 80s and 90s. Whoa. They lived a long time. Yeah, they did. Well, Smurfs live forever. <laughs> <laughs> They're made out of payo plastic. Even though they had a genetic disorder and lived long lives, they managed to do so without having any serious illnesses. Well, that's because they didn't go outside the gene pool to, <laughs> to procreate. <laughs> so you know what they say, grab a cousin and start that loving. So it's not like, oh, hey, I'm dating this girl now, but there's schizophrenia within her family. You know, we have a kid. There's a chance a kid gets schizophrenia. This one, no. The only genetic disorder we have is we all look like Smurfs. <laughs> so let's just bang each other. See how dark blue and blueberry-ish we can get our Smurfs. <laughs> see if we can get them to look like Veruca Salt from Candy, uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. <laughs> The Fugate's appearance is tied to a rare blood problem known as methemoglobinemia. Hi-oh! I think I nailed it. <laughs> and that's what the relatives all said. <laughs> <laughs> the condition messes with how blood carries oxygen, so instead of a regular skin color, the family wound up with a cool shade of blue. Normal he uh, normally hemoglobin, the protein responsible for carrying oxygen in red blood cells, cycles between states with oxygen binding ferrous iron at its core. With metho see, I can't say it again. Methemoglobinemia, however, an oxidized form of iron, ferric iron, accumulates in the hemoglobin molecule, reducing its ability to efficiently transport oxygen. This results in a decrease of its oxygen-carrying capacity, resulting in bluish discoloration of oxygen. The Fugate's unique blue hue, therefore, is a visible manifestation of its internal disruption, shedding light on the intricate interplay between blood chemistry and skin appearance. That being said, the family weren't the only ones to have had a bluish skin color, as seen with Paul Carrison, who took colloidal silver to treat his acid reflux and arthritis. As a result, he too had a purple, almost bluish skin tone. Because of colloidal silver, huh? I've taken that. Yeah. I didn't know that could cause you to turn blue. It can. 
So there was an end, evidently, to the blue-skinned people of Kentucky, it says here. Okay. The they blue, married outside the family? Evidently. They got a... They got a... They got a <laughs> they on the highway? <laughs> they got an invitation to a dance. No, you know what happened is Tinder. <laughs> yes, Tinder. They got, they got Wi-Fi up there in the Appalachian. They're like, hey, Smurfette, come on now. Let's go. <laughs> You're kind of cute for a blue hue. Um, we, we, we need you to go find the guy. Start looking like California racists. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> blue chew for the blue hue. <laughs> we need blue chew back, by the way. We do. We do. Uh, the blue-skinned people of Kentucky have etched their story into the cultural identity of the Appalachian region. Despite facing societal challenges, the Fugates embrace their unique heritage. Their distinctive blue skin has become a lasting symbol woven into the fabric of Appalachia's cultural narrative. As time progressed, so too did medical understanding. The blue skin phenomenon within the family gradually diminished, and advances in medical knowledge allowed for better management of methemoglobinemia. <laughs> leading throwing that word everywhere at yeah you. that's the word of the day methemoglobinemia ha! <laughs> uh, leading to a decrease in the visibility of the condition in subsequent generations so it's gone now but at one Aww. time there were the glue the, the glue skin the blue skinned people of kentucky you think they're big fans of the blue man group i think they think they're uh they're copyright infringement people absolutely <laughs> They're like pretenders. Uh, it's time now for us folks to review Ziggy's picks for the week. Yeah, I, I did a horrible because I was so sick. That's all right. Uh, we all have but our Ziggy's off week. Ziggy's turning it around. Just to review for you guys what exactly Ziggy's picks are. As you know, there are many psychic animals out there picking the FIFA World Cup results and other sporting events. We figured if animals were psychic, well, our own Ziggy Star Pup and her sister Talia may have the gift as well. So what we do every week is we take the NFL schedule, we break it down, the pups against the humans, because we got to decide, is it knowledge or is it psychic gifts? Which one prevails? So Bruiser yeah, and I exactly. make our picks. Talia and Ziggy make their picks, and we decide who comes out the best. We have overall records as well. You go to darknessradioshow.com, click on Ziggy's picks, you can see the full rundown of who did what per week. So with that... And during this week, when... when So Mrs. Bruiser did it this time with them because I was so out of it, but when she handed it to me to, to send over to you... Mm -hmm. There's a couple of picks. I look at the dogs. I'm like, you guys are nuts. And it turns out they were right. <laughs> they were they were dead on. Yeah. Uh, Ziggy this week went eight and five. Yeah. Amazing. And to top that, Talia went nine and four. Yeah. And she, the she, game that I was looking forward to was the Packers Chiefs because those are my two teams. Mm -hmm. And I could have sworn because the Chiefs were favored. Chiefs are all going. Packers young team. And it literally came down to the final minute of the game. And the Packers won. And I looked at Talia and said, how? <laughs> how? <laughs> and you know what? You know what? I might have mistakenly I might have mistakenly nicked Ziggy for a loss that she didn't have. Hold on a second here. Um, I think she actually went 9-4 as well. I think I, I marked her for a loss and she got a win on that Packers one. Okay. Oh, no, 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 she lost that one. She picked Chiefs. Yeah, she picked the Chiefs. Okay, okay, yeah, she was 8-5. and five. Um, Yeah, I I was, surprised, I, okay, I was surprised Talia picked the Packers and picked the Cardinals. The Cardinals. The Cardinals was the other one. I'm like, there's no way. The, the Cardinals are terrible this year. Yeah, they're terrible. But they and beat they, the Steelers. 
they blew him out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Talia is uh, is back on the horse, and so is Ziggy. Um, Bruiser still went seven and six this week, even in a yeah, COVID I didn't hate. Do terrible, but no, but still, you take that to you're more than even money in Vegas. I went against my gut too because I wanted the Niners and the Niners Eagles. My gut was telling me Niners, but Mrs. Bruiser is on a huge fly Eagles fly thing, and she's mm-hmm. in love with with uh, Kelsey and and you know what I mean. Like she, so that's all I heard. All I heard, and I'm like, man, my gut says Niners. The, the Niners have been the hottest team. Yes. On the NFC in the last month, you don't yes. go against the Niners, especially since they're completely healthy. They're, yeah, and they had a bye week last week. Yep, yep, and they're completely healthy. I knew they were going to walk into into Philly and stomp all over them. I was sorry, worried sorry that Eagles fans. I got a lot of friends who are Eagles fans, but that game was a was a gotcha game. That that game right there is the NFC Championship. Game. Yep, it certainly the, is. Those two are going to play again. Mm-hmm. It'll be the NFC champ. And there's nothing against the Cowboys. The Cowboys are good right now. The Cowboys are going to lose to Philadelphia. Yep. Yep. Certainly are. And it's going to come down to something, you know, because whoever, I think it was they were talking about, um, I forget what game it was, but whoever, I, I believe it was the Buccaneers or the Falcons, whoever wins that division, they played the Cowboys first round. Yeah. So the Cowboys instant win, but then the Cowboys are going to play the uh, Eagles again. Eagles beat them, comes down to Eagles Niners. Yep. That's your NFC championship game. That is. That is. Um, and I think you're going to see your potential Super Bowl coming up in the second to the last week of the season, yeah. 49ers and Ravens. Yeah, I agree. I want the Chiefs, but the Ravens are unstoppable right now. They're hitting on all cylinders. They lost their top tight end with Mark Andrews, and I'm like, okay, that's going to hurt them. Didn't hurt them at all. No. Didn't hurt them at all. The Dolphins may potentially be spoilers, but I don't know. But but the Ravens I think are, that'll be your AFC championship game. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I think with Trevor Lawrence going down, the Jaguars are out. Yeah. Uh the Bengals are done because of the Joe Burrow situation. Yeah, and now uh uh Trevor Lawrence last night. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence going down. If he if he doesn't get it together and get it together soon, they say it's only a, a sprained ankle. Really? Yeah. I heard Achilles. Did you? The, the latest. But, the, but, the, but this was last night. This was last night. So no, no, this no, no, is, no, no, no. If no. you heard today that it's the sprained ankle. Sprained then. ankle according to an MRI. And in fact, okay. I'll pull it up right here, right now. Did you see the play? I didn't see the play. I know it was oh, wrong. But it's bad. But they're saying it may be multiple weeks. So. Um, it's it's bad. Yeah. Um, says here the Vikings won't decide their starting quarterback till Wednesday. They're a team that's in a world of hurt. I don't think they make the playoffs. I think Green Bay ends up taking. Theirs. I think Green Bay knocked them out. Yep. I think with the Green Bay yeah. win on Sunday, that that's it. The Vikings are their season's done. Yeah, I, I if they continue to go with Dobbs, they're done. Um, but I still think Detroit beats the Packers in the playoffs. Oh, Detroit! Yeah, Detroit. Detroit's going yeah. a long way. Yeah. Even though they had they they're just stumbling a little bit right now, but they're they're well they're, they're beat up. They're fine. Yeah. Uh it says here the story I have here on Trevor Lawrence is that he has a high ankle sprain. Okay. So he so that's, that's he what will Mahomes had at the end of the season last year, and he played through it and won a Super Bowl. So yeah, he, but I don't he'll, think he'll I don't think I think the Jaguars are done without Lawrence. I still think you're gonna see Bethard next week, though. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't think he plays. Yeah. No. Uh, which is going to be problems for Jacksonville. That's for sure. Because uh, he did not look good. 
the end, no. the end of the last last night. He, 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 they should have easily won that game, and they didn't. Nope. Uh, Especially with Burrow down. Yeah. With Burrow gone, because Burrow's the heart and soul of that Cincinnati team. Although Browning didn't look bad, but he, he, did, he didn't. He but didn't, I'm just saying, he as didn't far look as morale enough. in the locker room and yeah. leadership in 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 situations where you need that leader to come out. Yeah. Uh, your boy here went ten and three. That a boy. No. Look at you. See, it uh, it helps to have uh, gangsters in Vegas. I mean, uh, to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next week, uh, next week is going to be an interesting week as well. So. Uh, the injury bug is biting a lot of different teams around the league. The pups are on the rise. So yeah. we'll see here. Um, now, interestingly enough, uh, Ziggy added three percentage points to her to her pick. So she's at a 565 percentage. Nice. Talia came way up, added like 12 percentage points to her to her pick percentage. She's back at a 550 pick percentage. Bruiser's at a 592 pick percentage. I'm at a 628 pick, pick percentage. Yeah, that 10 and 3 helped you out, yeah. Yeah, it did. That 10 and 3 really boosted me. So um, as far as numbers, Ziggy is at 108 and 83. Talia's at 105 and 86. Bruiser's at 113 and 78. I'm at a 120 and 71. So there you go. What was Talia at? I Tal- was writing them down for Talia, Talia is at 105 and 86. She had a couple of bad weeks where it, it, it really dinged her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Still, that's not bad. That's no, nope. it's technically a winning season. That that's a that's a big winning season. Yeah, if this um, was baseball, like <laughs> yeah. you know. Or hockey. So if you want to uh, if you want to follow along in complete detail and, and break it down game by game of what the pups picked. And you can follow along every single week by going to darknessradioshow.com, clicking on the Ziggy's picks tab and you can get all of our picks that's how you can do it let's continue on only a couple more stories here left in today's program bruiser we got to continue with animals okay because we're on that kick now so we've talked psychic animals let's talk about extinct animals uh that could suddenly be brought back to life we got to thank karaoke who sent the story in really yeah like some jurassic park stuff going on huh yes yeah, um, woolly mammoths haven't been seen for 4,000 years, but if scientists are successful, uh, they could be walking around Alaska in just five years. Well, I believe it was a few months ago. Maybe it was last year we had the woolly mammoth burger story where they they recreated the meat of the woolly mammoth. They're, so you'd think the next step is the actual woolly mammoth. The actual woolly mammoth. Colossal biosciences researchers in Texas who study ancient DNA have found a 99 99- Point six percent match between the woolly mammoth and the Asian elephant. It oh, makes wow. the species an ideal candidate for surrogacy. And researchers plan to transfer a woolly mammoth embryo to an Asian elephant in 2026. This will be interesting to see where this goes. Yep. If all goes according to plan, after a 22-month gestation period, the first woolly mammoth in millennia will be born in 2028. So, two-year gestation period. Wow. Yeah. Once, okay. once the woolly mammoth calves are born, they will be transported to their habitat in the Arctic Circle, starting with Alaska and Canada. The only thing I'm concerned about is we don't we don't for sure know their diet. We for sure don't know how they're going to react to the new diseases that are out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like, 
I don't want to create. I hope they don't create something just for it to get sick and and pass again. Or how does it affect the human race? What if right. they have something that's been dead for years? Because we did the story again with glaciers having all those old bacteria. Yep. And and viruses from from prehistoric times. Yep. What if the woolly mammoth? Anyone who's seen the Jurassic Park films might believe that extinct species are better off left buried, but Colossal Biosciences CEO and co-founder Ben Lamb says that his company's work is drastically different than that of InGen in the movies mentioned above. Jurassic Park is a dystopian movie around not thinking about the unintended consequences of bringing back these species, Lamb told Newsweek. Lamb and his team build out calculated plans for each extinct species they hope to bring back, including how they'll survive in their natural habitat and when to release them into the wild. But there are plenty of animals that Colossal Biosciences won't bother reinstating because they could cause other species to become extinct. Part of the reasons as to why the dodo went extinct, it was not because they were stupid or because people like to eat them, but it was because of the introduction of invasive species in their egg laying ground. That's why dodos went away. Okay. That so we're going to have to prevent that if we get to clone them again. Yeah. Uh, one species lamb has no plans on bringing back from extinction is the Christmas Island rat, given an, its invasive tendencies. Experts believe that's that good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, experts believe that the modern extinction rate as much as one, I'm sorry, 10,000 times higher than the natural extinction rate also known as the rate of extinction that would occur if humans didn't exist, according to the World Wildlife Fund, making for a dim outlook on the future of life. It's impossible to determine the exact number of extinctions occurring each year, given that researchers don't know how many species exist on the planet, as there are countless undiscovered species living in rainforests or beneath the ocean's depths. However, it says here, WWF estimates, not Vince McMahon's organization, but the other one, the Panda People, estimate that from 200 to 2,000 extinctions occur every year if there are 2 million different species on the planet. Now, Colossal Sciences has poured years of research and millions of dollars into the projects, and Lamb said the woolly mammoth work is well on its way. However, scientists must study more than DNA to ensure the species success. The company has partners, partnered with several elephant conservation organizations for the project. It also studies animal husbandry and ensuring that the modern woolly mammoth wouldn't be susceptible to viruses that have killed its ancestors and relatives. So they've already taken what you're saying into consideration. Okay, good. I don't want them to go all willy-nilly like Jurassic Park did. Yeah, no, they've, they've already taken that into consideration. They also are thinking about habitats. Uh, the first generation of mammoths would live in expan expansive habitats managed and monitored by animal care teams. So they've already taken all that into consideration as well. And, and I hope they don't, like, I'm glad they're not doing the rat thing. And, like, we don't need a saber-toothed tiger. We don't need a velociraptor. You know what I mean? Like, the furry ones are fine. <laughs> the furry, nice, good ones are fine. That's right. That's right. Let's talk about humans that want to live a long time. Um, <laughs> this particular woman evidently has lived a long time on an unusual diet. Let me guess, Coors Light. Um, you're not even close. Um, <laughs> there was a lady that they just interviewed here in North Carolina who reached 99 or 100 or something. And they asked her what the secret was. And she said she drinks a Coors Light every single day. 
Really? There's yep. one woman in China, I almost pulled the story, who has lived on, for the last 50 years, nothing but uh, soda pop and water. Okay. Which is bizarre. This woman celebrating her 115th birthday, and she says the secret is eating a lot of beans. <laughs> I'm guessing perfume has no use with her. So whatsoever. that smell of death isn't her dying. It's no, just it's, her being gassy. Yeah, it's just a lot of gas. Helena Pereira Dos Santos recently turned 115 and has claimed the secret to living a long life is all down to her diet, which consists of a lot of beans. <laughs> mm hmm. Helena Pereira Dos Santos celebrated her milestone birthday with her family, including her 15 great grandchildren, and has claimed her bean rich diet is the one thing that has kept her strong and healthy for over 11 decades. The woman was born in 1908, meaning she was four years old when the Titanic sunk and was six years old when World War I started. Alongside beans, Elena also said that sleeping well, exercising regularly, and joy were important factors in her long life. And according to her family, the woman still remains active, lucid, and independent, despite her advanced years. In fact, Helena from Rios das Pedras, northwest of Sao Paulo, Brazil, often goes shopping at the market with her granddaughter and loves going for regular walks to stay active. She has to because she's powered by gas. <laughs> the woman also makes a yearly pilgrimage of a staggering 170 miles to the National Sanctuary of Aparecida, which is the world's largest cathedral in Aparecida, Brazil. That's a long trip. That is a very long trip. Yeah. She was born on a farm in Nova Atararana uh, and worked as a midwife and seamstress before retiring. But according to her granddaughter, Adriana, still mends clothes and remains a dab hand at, a, at making rag dolls. Oh, interesting. Okay. Helena married her husband, who passed away in 2004 at the age of 103. Did you hear his famous last words? No, what was that? Someone light a match. <laughs> My country for a Febreze. <laughs> uh, she married him when she was 26 years old. That's sad. That's, I'm glad they got a long life together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The couple had six children, 10 grandchildren, 15 great-grandchildren together. Unfortunately, most of her children have since passed away. Well, that's, oh, that's too bad. Yeah. No, no parents shall outlive a child. No. But Helena remains close to her grandkids and her great-grandkids. Uh, when interviewed in 2020, Helena said the only medicine she was taking was for her high blood pressure. And she also recalled how a spiritual psychiatrist once told her she would last more than 100 years. The healer allegedly said, ma'am, you can keep working peacefully. You will last more than 100 years. According to the Guinness World Records, Helena is not the oldest living person, uh, but she isn't far behind as that title goes to Spain's Maria Brañas Marrera who turned 116 on March 4th. Wow. That's insane. That's kind of cool. Would you want to live to be 115? No. No? Nope. I'd take it. Would you? Yeah. I don't want to. There's something about this crazy life I enjoy. I mean, I, I enjoy my life. I do not want to go anywhere. I just don't want to live that long. Yeah. Hmm. I would. What's lost? 
Too much loss? Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. She outlived her husband. She outlived some of her kids. That's a lot of loss. I don't know. There's something about getting to know people and, and getting to uh, interact with people that I enjoy, that I would, I would, uh, I don't know. I, w- I would enjoy it. There's something okay. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't. No. Yeah. no. Okay. And finally, Bruiser, you and I love a good joke. We sure do. Sometimes those jokes can go horribly, horribly awry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> and sometimes... Our listeners can tell us that. <laughs> oh, yes. But sometimes those jokes, when they go horribly, horribly awry, sometimes can be really, really funny. Okay. This one happened when... By the way, what was the funniest thing you've ever... What Funniest joke you ever played on your children? Oh. I don't even know. I've done so much to them. <laughs> you ever dressed up in costume for your your children and scared them? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. Well, this it was a holiday joke played on the children uh, that <laughs> I think went bad on the Grinch. My cousin that passed away used to dress up at Santa every year for the kids. Yeah. And one year, my <laughs> he came in and my son's back was to him. And he came in, ho, 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 and all the kids are freaking out. Yeah, you know, I'm, my son turns around, doesn't know, you know, just freaks out, sees a guy standing literally right behind him and kicked him in the nuts and ran Because <laughs> <laughs> he was scared, you know, he wasn't, and then he realized what he did, and then he came back apologizing and like, I don't want to be on the naughty list and this and, you know, like, <laughs> instantly was like, oh, I just, I effed up. So <laughs> You kicked Santa in the Christmas sack. Yep, so when we made the, the Santa letter that year, we said, you know, um, thanks for leaving out the milk and cookies. I also took some ice from the freezer for my nuts. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. That's... It made for a good story for the family, but yeah. His face was just, when he realized it was Santa, and he, you know what I mean? Because yeah. his instinct was fight, you know, which is great. Right. Fight or flight, yeah. he yeah. fought. Yeah. But then his face, when he saw the, the hat and the beard, and the, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Well, these children screamed in horror as the Grinch burst into their home and destroyed the tree. But it wasn't all. I don't get it. why people would do that. Like, well, I've it, seen a lot of Grinches lately. Yeah. And I, Grinch is not a, he's not a good guy. He's no, a no, bad no. guy. It, and it didn't happen on purpose. Well, let me okay. explain what happened. A family's gone viral after a clip was posted online of children being left screaming in horror as the Grinch burst into their home and unfortunately completely destroyed the Christmas tree. Carla Swan posted a video on Facebook that showed a person dis- dressed as a Grinch in a Grinch costume, complete with green trousers, a mask, and a Santa hat, bursting through their front door and making a beeline for the Christmas tree. However, they the Grinch went jumping onto the decoration and knocked it onto the ground. <laughs> in the commotion, one of Char- Carla's children runs out of the room screaming while another can be heard crying in the background alongside a dog barking and Carla's son can be seen hitting the mystery assailant in an attempt to defend his household. I would too. There's the fight or flight. Yeah. Uh, But all is not as it seems as the family isn't really in any danger as the Grinch is actually just the children's aunt and Carla's sister, Charmaine. Alongside her Facebook video, Carla wrote, what an absolute laugh as she shared the prank she had played on her unsuspecting children. 
and people couldn't get enough of the hilarious video, which has been shared 25,000 times on Facebook, but has even become more popular on X, formerly known as Twitter, where more than a million people have watched it. Commenters were quick to brand the video hilarious, and some say they can't stop watching the 30-second clip as they ask how much Charmaine would charge to inflict the same chaos on their homes. <laughs> After the clip went viral, Carla updated everyone to let them know the kids were not traumatized by the ordeal as they were soon told afterwards that the prank that happened that the Grinch was actually their aunt and that they soon got over the shock Carla told Glasgow Live it was my sister they didn't know until after the video ended when they when she revealed themselves or revealed herself to them uh, that they thought it was absolutely hilarious um (laughs) I got to show you a picture of Charmaine on top of the tree. So you actually get an idea of what she looks like because it's absolutely insane. Um, There's a picture of, here's a picture of the, the Grinch and then the kids afterwards. So you know that they weren't. (laughs) Nice. She's just launched into the tree. She just runs in and jumps into the tree she she was this, that that's a mosh pit scene right there it is um but i know people may be thinking well what an asshole to hire your your sister to come run in in a cringe costume and fling yourself at the tree i don't know sometimes you just need a good scare. i think it's great I'm, bravo yeah nobody got hurt they told the kids afterwards everything's fine yeah exactly so and you know i mean we some people take their kid to go see Krampus. I mean, you know, just to shape them up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this one was just the Grinch coming in and destroying destroying the tree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just a little something to rile them up a little bit, you know? Yeah, get them going. You know? And it was the Grinch. It wasn't Santa. Yeah, it wasn't Santa. It was the Grinch. So, you know. I think, you know, the whole idea of the Grinch is that, you know, at the, at the end of the story, well, the Grinch's heart grows three sizes too big and he's all love, lovey and cuddly at the end. No, give him the Grinch before. The Grinch yeah. that goes down to Whoville and takes all the presents. And that's what this Grinch is doing. This Grinch is destroying stuff, which yeah. is what a Grinch would do. That's right. So bring the scary before Before he got heart disease. That, that's right. Before he got heart disease, <laughs> before he got a swollen heart. Um, so, yeah, give him the scary part of the Grinch. That's what I think. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. There's not enough scariness in, in, in Christmas anymore. So and There should be. There's ghost stories everywhere. Christmas Carol. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Krampus. Krampus. Give him the scary side of Christmas this year. Let the kids scream oh. a little bit before they get their gifts. Agreed. That's what I say. Tomorrow on the big program... We're going to talk to Pat O'Connor. And you may say, Tim, who's Pat O'Connor? Wasn't that the guy He's who... He's the uh, second or third NWA champion. Um, invented the <laughs> O'Connor role. Yeah, he did. A hell of a dropkick out of St. Louis, well, Missouri. Yeah, he was what number NWA champion? I want to say second or third, but I don't believe that's right. No. I think he beat Hackenschmidt. It's not Pat O'Connor. It's Pat O'Connell. Pat O'Connell. Uh, I heard O'Connor. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not Pat O'Connor. It's Pat O'Connell. Pat O'Connell is totally different. Uh, Pat O'Connell. Actually, we're going to be talking aliens tomorrow. Ooh. Pat O'Connell. Even better than roll-ups. That's right. Even better than roll-ups and pins. Uh, Pat O'Connell has a true story with a twist so shocking you'll never see it coming. 
He married the alien. No, she. 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 It's <laughs> a she. Oh, it's a she. she. Okay, well, I, I, I digress. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, for three years, Texas aircraft repair shop owner Clay Wheeler witnessed an array of paranormal phenomena at Sparks County Airport that made the events at Utah's Skinwalker Ranch pale by comparison, including UFOs, aliens, poltergeists, demonic possession, and plain old murder. Now a team is forming to finish the investigation and find out what, if any evidence, is really buried out there. That's awesome. Yeah. We're getting into it tomorrow, buddy. I love it. We won't tell you what happened to Clay. Oh, I'll wait for the interview. But we will talk to Pat O'Connor. I'm sorry, Pat O'Connell tomorrow. (laughs) So you got me doing it now. Well, it's supernatural. We can get out a Ouija board if you want to talk to Pat (laughs) (laughs) O'Connor. We can. We can find out what happened to Pat O'Connor and why there weren't more NWA championships there. Uh, But Pat O'Connell tomorrow on the show. And we will find out what happened to this area that may even trump the Skinwalker Ranch. That's awesome. So that's on tomorrow's show. On the big program, right here on Darkness Radio. What you got going on, Bruiser? I am wrestling on Sunday at Winston-Salem at the AML Training Center. Uh, There's a show being put on. It's called Tag Team Turmoil. And I will be there. Went back to the WrestleCade weekend, which was two weekends ago. I had a great return. And I got the bug back. Plus, I got to make money. So there you <laughs> I'm go. doing the, uh, I think I'm in a tag match. I might be in a thing. I don't know. I'm doing something. You also have something akin to some war games coming up in January. In January, yeah, but that hasn't been announced yet. So. Oh, I'll edit it out of the, <laughs> the show. The show's been announced, but the teams haven't been announced. <gasps> I will be on the show, yes. I will be on War Games, which is in January 20th. I don't know what I'm doing yet. The teams haven't been announced. Just one captain's been announced. But oh, okay. AMLWrestling.com for all that or AMLWrestling.com slash training if you want to come train with me. Uh, I got a lot of uh flowers i guess you could say from from legendary trainers like dr tom uh trevor murdoch uh billy corgan because a couple of my students did a tryout they fell in love with them they got dates with the nwa i said hey who trained you they said me and uh sent the flowers over to me and i loved it nice 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 we'll also put uh, your upcoming dates up in the events uh, section of darknessradioshow.com as well so people can uh, come on out and see you live in a person also if you're not able to see bruiser live in a person you can watch him live on title match network or you can go back and watch your replays on title match network as well all the aml shows the show on sunday i don't think i don't think it's on title match pay attention to my social medias i'll let you know if it is or not okay so, because um, it's not an AML show on Sunday, they're just renting the school. Oh, they're just renting the school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a uh, actually one of my students putting the show on. Oh, so. very cool. Very cool. Yeah. But all the regular AML wrestling shows you could that Bruiser's involved with, you can watch on Title Match Network. So, and I highly recommend going back and watching the Wrestlecade Super Show if if you're uh, even just a little bit of a wrestling fan. Everybody knows who the Hardy Boys are. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time in years they tagged together in North Carolina. And the pop that the crowd gave, we had to take our audio headsets off because it was so loud. They were maxing out everything in front of 10,000 people. So I highly recommend going to watch it. It was amazing. That's pretty incredible. So, yeah, uh, Title Match Network. And we'll, we have the link in the, um, 
in the event section there for you to uh, get to Title Match Network. You can subscribe to Title Match Network. It's pretty pretty nominal per month. Yeah, they, and they got a lot more than just AML on there. It's great. Tully, Tully does a great job with that that service. So Yeah, I'm subscribed. I'm subscribed to Title Match Network. So uh, and lots of good stuff on there, not just AML. So uh, click on it. Get yourself a, a subscription and uh, check out AML. Lots of good stuff in AML. So there you go. That'll do it for today, folks. I'm up at KNSI this weekend, so if you want to tune in between 7 and 9 a.m. Central Time, you can do so and listen to me babble about something other than paranormal. <laughs> I'll give you news, sports, weather, all that other stuff. So, all right. There you go. Um, real quick before we go today, uh, I know those of you who keep up with different celebrity news may be interested in this, especially music and rock news, but... Um, I guess as we were on the show today, let me see if I can pull this up here real quick. Uh, as we were talking, uh, Bruiser and I back and forth, the Moody Blues and Wings musician Denny Lane died at age 79. Oh, that's too bad. I like the Moody. I like both those bands. Yeah, he's the lead singer of the Moody Blues, and he was a guitarist with Sir Paul McCartney's group Wings, and he died at age 79. His wife Elizabeth Haynes said on Tuesday, uh, that he had died following a long battle with lung disease. So if you can keep uh, Denny Lane's family in your prayers and thoughts, uh, please continue to do so. We'd appreciate it. Um, it's sad that a lot of the people that we grew up listening to are, are passing away, yeah. um, but we continue to keep them immortalized in their music and in their art, and uh, we pre- continue to appreciate them. Uh, yep. But Denny Lane has passed away at the age of 79. So, uh, Join us tomorrow. Pat O'Connell on the show. We'll be talking all kinds of things strange and unusual. High strangeness out there in Utah, in Sparks County. We do that tomorrow on The Best in Paranormal Podcasting for Beer City Bruiser. I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for listening to Darkness Radio.